Welcome to Every Album Ever with Mike and Alex. My name is Michael Mansour, and I'm joined as always by my full of chicken and mac and cheese co-host, Alexander Volt. Say hello. Hello. This is Every Album Ever, the podcast where we listen to every single album in the world, one artist at a time. That's a whole new discography per episode. And today, we'll be discussing every album by... Silkworm. Silkworm. This is requested on Patreon by Kevin a, a while back. And we finally got to it. We weren't pushing it off. We weren't making him wait on purpose. It just happened to take a long time. Yes. And we're we're talking we're talking about how to maybe do this faster in the future. Yes. We're, we're trying to figure out how to how to not make you guys wait so much. Thank you so much, by the way, for for, for supporting us and hanging out with us. And thank you, Kevin, for this request. Uh, this is going to be a very, very fucking fun episode. We have so much to talk about. And not even regarding music or the or this episode or the band, just the making of this just episode. Recording right now. Yeah. You you won't believe what just happened for the over the past what two hours? Something like that? No. L- longer? It's about three yeah, three hours. Two, two to three hours on and yeah. Oh my god. We're gonna we'll talk about that. But thank you so much, Kevin, for for suggesting this. Uh we have a bunch to talk about Silkworm, of course. Uh, one of the most underappreciated and untalked about bands ever. Definitely not for everyone. Uh, and uh, already I'm going to go out the gate. Fuck you, Alex. Uh, you asshole, because I know you don't like them. Yeah, you're correct. Yeah, I like them a lot. And and I like them, <laughs> like them a lot. And oh, there's going to be so much to talk about. That's good. Because uh, the the boys in Silkworm were kind enough to talk to Tom. So we uh, have, yeah, we have an actual exclusive interview from, uh, from both Tim to Midia and Andy Cohen from Silkworm. So thank you so much to them. I mean, they're the nicest guys in the world. And thank you to Tom, our history guy, uh, for once again, just pulling miracles out of his ass and just making this show better. Mm-hmm. But before we get into that, so Alex shows up to record a little episode Mm-hmm. And before he gets here, I'm struggling trying to get the video to work and I have it, my, I have the camera connected to my computer and I have this whole thing using a uh, fucking OBS and a whatever it works. It's worked for the, a lot, many years now at this point and it's not working. It's just not working. He gets here. I'm fiddling. I'm faddling. I'm fapping and whacking and, and nothing's working. If I ever come in and you're fapping and whapping whacking i'll i'll leave you don't have to i'm very unintrusive when i okay, do it but okay. i'm i'm trying everything and it's not working so i figure it's got to be the little link the, the the usb link that i'm connecting via uh hdmi to the computer it's got to be what else could it be worst case scenario i'll just go we'll just go to best buy right now and buy a new one and that's what we did that is what we did but and- that the worst case scenario somehow got more complicated. It got worser, and we we go we go there. We finally find it. Uh, the 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 replacement after Mike was very very rude to an employee. Okay, listen, just, Harry. No, he wasn't rude. He was just like, <laughs> I don't want to talk to people. That is, it was rude. It was absolutely rude. I was being a fucking asshole. I didn't mean to be an. <laughs> a, he, so you you know, first of all, when you walk into the store, and the first thing he said is, "Why are you here?" He said it all all nice and it, creepy. It wasn't. How can I help you today? Or what are you looking for? It was speci- But it was like, it, why, "Why are you? What are you looking? For? Why are you here today?" The, to- like, what you- <laughs> the tone was nicer, but the actual question was kind of like, "Wait, what?" Yeah, it was a wait what question, and I gave him a wait what answer. So I just kind of brushed him off. I mumbled actually not i didn't even mumble words it was nonsense and i kind of walked away but i found we found the thing we pay for it we leave we get back here i'm opening it i break the seal i pull out the little 
cardboard packaging and I see something that I don't recognize. Instead of seeing the the USB the little device, I instead see a yellow plastic thing that smells of banana. Mm-hmm. And then Alex shrewdly pointed out that that was a thing that goes in inside a vape cartridge. Yeah, some sort. Of, I I don't smoke. I'm not cool. Some sort of vape e cigarette thing. Whatever you guys do. It wasn't a cam link. Is what it was. What it what it wasn't was. It absolutely was not. <laughs> so okay, that's someone scammed this place, and I got you know the the residue of that. Fine, it's a huge waste of fucking time, but it's funny, and we'll go back and return we'll, it. Yep. So we did that. We went back and returned it, and I said, "This is not what I bought." There was a mm-hmm. thing in there. It's leaking, by the way. You might not want to just be you know just be careful. So Alex. While I'm talking to the, the the customer service people, he's grabbing. He grabs another one. And this one, it's in the same exact packaging, the same fucking security spider thing on it. So she's like, "All right, full, all right." So sorry, that's fucking crazy. I can't believe that, but here you go. And, and Mike, I, Mike's smart enough to open it in front. Well, you don't get burned twice. No, you, you don't no. get burned. What are the chances that it is, it's going to be something else? Like, what are the obviously? There was a crazy fucking accident, fluke thing. Some guy scammed them, and then I picked it up by mistake. I opened this one, and inside it wasn't a vape cartridge. It was a dog toy. Yes, a chewy dog, blue dog bone. And even the lady was like, what the fuck is going on here? She called like her manager, and he was like, what the fuck? And he was just as entertained as we were. I go back, grab a third one. A third one. The last one they have. And everyone at this point's like, oh, like, Antis- we, yeah. we we need to record today, but also like it'd be funny if it was just like this over and over again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. full but, on Benny Hill sketch. Yeah. So but third time, it was fine. Yeah. Third time, it was the thing. Problem solved, right? Fucking no. <laughs> Problem not solved. We get back. I plug it in, and it doesn't work the same way the other one doesn't work. I have no idea how. Or why? And you're watching a video right now, so we, we're recording it straight through the cameras, through SD. But it's way harder that way. It's there's gonna be a lot more edits. Mike's got his work cut out for him. It's on a this one. fucking pain in the ass, and it takes up so much more space when you record from the camera. It's like gigs and gigs, as opposed to literally like five gigs. It's it'll be like 30, 40, maybe fifty. So we got all that out of the way. We're finally here. We're here to talk about a band that Alex doesn't like, but that I have so much. <laughs> New, as I never heard them before. You never heard them before, I'm assuming. No, I have not. Uh, I always knew their name because of Touch and Go. Very familiar with the name. Never okay. heard the band. Continuing our Steve Albini and our Touch and Go adventures on this podcast. Check out the full Touch and Go playlist. We, we cover a lot of Touch and Go bands. We love that label, of course. Well, and make a Steve Albini play with me? Uh, he only has... He, he wouldn't want a playlist. <laughs> well, no, it's only like if we're counting his bands, we've only covered two out of his three bands. And if we're covering the bands that he's recorded, uh, sometimes he'll, he'd only do one album. So like we're going to put Nirvana in the Steve Albini playlist. Yeah, I don't. You know what? Maybe. 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 Anyway, anyway Silkworm, uh, it's a guest. So I also watched the documentary, Couldn't You Wait? Um, which how was that? It was fucking awesome. Okay, it was like legitimately good, and also it came out I think 2013. Okay, so it's it's pretty old at this point. I I, I had to buy it. I don't think you could find it um, streaming anywhere. But uh, the cool thing about that is because we have these interviews from Tom 
and he went out of his way to ask things that weren't in the doc. So we have like a, a very thorough. thorough representation of the band, how they feel about it, and how fans feel about it. Um, fans of that band should find something to enjoy in this episode, even though you are going to shit all over these albums. <laughs> and I'm going to do my best to defend them. I'm going to go a little easy since, uh, you know, so corns. You don't got to do nothing you don't want to do. Uh, I was just like, oh boy, Tom interviewed these guys. That, see, that's what I was worried at first too, mostly because um, I just didn't know what I was getting, getting into. But I was... Even when I was like, all right, this isn't for me. I get it. It's not really for me. At a certain point, I'm like, I get it. I get it. And, and all of a sudden, I'm like, yeah, all right, I get it. I'm into it. Uh, I, uh, you know, going to commit the first sin because there's not a lot of, like, information readily available. Um, <laughs> then I saw a lot of people compare them to pavement. Oh, yeah. And yeah, this you're gonna hear that a lot for me in this episode. I've never been into pavement, so that's another. I I listen. We've never discussed this, but I know. Yeah. I know pavement is. Yeah. I love pavement. Okay, like, I fucking like legitimately love pavement. Yeah, and even Steve, Stephen Alquist was in um was in the doc as well. Mm -hmm. And there was like, I'll I'll point it out specifically when we get to it. But there are there's an actual pavement reference in a song that lit me up when i heard it. i was like oh fuck that's fucking <laughs> oh hell yeah and I, I wasn't i knew there were there were uh peers but i didn't realize they were like friends so when mm -hmm. i heard it, i was like is that just like a, a weird homage because it's clear it's like it's not a ripoff it's clearly we're playing the pavement thing here yeah uh, so i was like they have to be friends and then later on it's clearly they were friends and they went on tour with them um um yeah like 96 or something i think they took them on tour because yeah that was one of the few things i read that it wasn't like they're they're peers they're not like uh and pavement just happened to be the more popular one yeah they're very similar in style in in style for sure I, you know i would say more in writing than than style mm -hmm. because they write a lot of the same types of vocal lines. A lot of the vocals do sound like pavement where it's this kind of regular guy speak sing thing, mm -hmm. uh, which I find kind of charming. And then the songs themselves, uh, not so much early on, but as they go, as they go on, you, it's like pavement style indie is the only way I can describe it, where it has yeah. these specific types of progressions. These, uh, these songs make you feel a certain way. There's, they don't, there's not a lot of veering from that. There's not a whole lot of darkness. There's no evil mm -hmm. riffs. There's no like, it all kind of revolves around the same mood, which if you like it, there is nothing, there is no bad album. There's nothing wrong with any of this is fucking excellent all the way through. If you don't like it, you're in for some shit. Me, baby. Me. <laughs> I knew pretty early on. I was like, this is not Alex's band. I feel bad for him, but I fucking like a lot of it. Like I like a lot of, a lot of it. It was a struggle for me. Oh man. We, we go, we go get into it, baby. All right. Uh, but so this is, I also, the documentary also made me pretty fucking emotional and, and very sad because, um, the core tree, it's a core trio, but they start they're already with the lineup. They're already the most endearing and interesting, the interesting way they, they even approach lineups because one main three guys are, uh, Andrew Cohen uh, on guitar, guitar and vocals, Tim Midget, I believe his, his birth name is Midget. Like really, I think because on all the records, it's Tim Midget in the documentary, his parents 
have the last name Midget. They showed like uh, yearbook photos, Midget. What an I, interesting last name. I think he changed it later in life to Midget. Yeah. So that makes more sense because the word Midget is not the most popular thing. But also it's like, I've never That's, heard that as a last name in my life. No, yeah. Wild. Uh, but yeah, Tim Midget on bass and bass and vocals and uh, Michael Dahlquist on drums. And so uh, in the early years, it was them three. All right, I'm already getting ahead of myself. I'm already fucking things up. And the, the first lineup is Andrew or Andy, uh, Tim, Ben Kustra on drums, and Joel R.L. Phelps on vocals and second guitar. But they put out some records. Uh, they put out two records with that lineup, th- th- that, that, those four. Mm-hmm. And the weird thing about all the records we're covering is the first three, uh, they're not available streaming. They're hard to find. They're fucking not easy to find. I don't know if this is accurate. But to me, it seems like they're only available on cassette. They were originally cassette. Well, the first two were cassettes. Some of these cassettes. And some angel on SoulSeek. Shout out to that guy and SoulSeek. Whoever's still using SoulSeek. Um, Us. <laughs> uh, one, one person, when I look this up, one person had it. <sighs> That's cutting it so close. Everything about this episode is cutting it super close. So, yeah, because um, it sounds like tape quality. Yeah, it's t- it's not like tape quality as well as like self-produced stuff. But, so, yeah, but- whoever recorded the tape to MP3 as well is has these files and decided to still use SoulSeek in the year 2023. <laughs> it's pretty wild. It kind of doesn't make any sense. Thank you so much for that because we finally got our, we actually got our hands on it. But those first three records, they're not even mentioned in the documentary. Yeah, they're yeah, completely they're, ignored. They're not streaming, which you know we'll get into it. Which I think is kind of a a shame. And I say that as someone who doesn't love this band, but it is a shame. There's a lot to be had on there, and we do have some some thoughts from from Andy and Tim about those records, which is mm-hmm. good because I literally couldn't one of them i don't even know how to fucking pronounce it because i, can't, I haven't heard it spoken anywhere uh we'll obviously get to we're gonna try to pronounce we'll try to pronounce it. i have an idea but it's probably wrong but anyway so two of those records it's this this lineup uh andy moves to new york to go to columbia i think and then tim move tim and joel move to seattle to try and have a because they're, they're from uh missoula montana mm-hmm middle of fucking nowhere but also a weirdly like i don't want to say active scene but it had like a, it's like a weird um hodgepodge of like a uh, college town and then like i don't know if it's like i, I wouldn't want to say fisherman but like mm-hmm. that type no, of there's, trade there's no, there's no water there but you know what i mean like that type of man <laughs> it's like it's like a, a weird melting pot of like strange people and like little scenes like really small scenes like rough blue collar stuff yeah. and then the college kids exactly and it's sort of like a strong lefty scene as well as all this like blue collar stuff which is it was like a you know just a weird little tiny town and uh joel <clears throat> andy and tim met in their previous band ein height which um i could talk a little bit about that but they were a post-punk band that i really really want to hear mm-hmm. um and anything with anything with more joel i think is that's good. your thing Joel's my man. Okay. I love Joel. This guy is a special dude. Elusive as fuck. He's not in the dock at all. We have no idea. I've never seen an interview oh, with damn. the guy. He he left the band um, in, in uh, 94, 94, mm-hmm. and they continued as a three-piece, three, three piece, but I'm getting, I'm jumping all over. I'm throwing timelines. I'm fucking going ape shit. Uh, 
I feel like I'm going to be talking a lot. <laughs> I mean, you are because you watch the doc. Yeah. You're the, you're the fan. I suppose. Okay. So this is from straight from Tim to, to Tom, to us. So thank you, Tim again for, and Andy for, for doing this. Um, he says, uh, in regards to, to growing up in like rural areas like Missoula, he says, I spent the first several years of my life in places more isolated than Missoula. However, it's about as far north in Montana as you can get. Richland, Washington is near the Hanford Nuclear Reservation and not recommended. Then on the east shore of Flathead Lake up in the woods and later on later on a farm outside of Helena. So the motherfucker was already raised in middle of nowhere. Uh, so like they would go to Seattle and then later on they would go to Chicago. Mm-hmm. And it's just a it's like a weird trajectory um, geographically, I think. Uh, he says, Missoula was the big city compared to those places, uh, but it was undeniably isolated. Pre-internet, limited cable TV and radio, not many flights up in the mountains forbidding in the winter. Uh, yet it's a college town with a steady supply of new blood. Young people who wanted to spend as much time biking and hiking and drinking as studying. They brought in records and books from all over the place. Nice. Very That's, nice. Uh... A little different from some of the other isolated small bands I've yes. encountered. I, I'm always going to go to the smalls because they can't believe how isolated they were. But um, so, yeah, this hearing that, yeah, there's people coming in, bringing it. That's already a step above. Yeah, because otherwise you have to you end up like Hammerhead who start out in fucking Fargo and have like no one's going to Fargo for any reason unless it's to murder somebody like in the movie. But. Yeah, he goes on to say hippies, English grad students, drug mules, disenchanted farmers, open-minded truckers, curious tourists. They'd end up in a bungalow with a rusted out mini pickup, living out the rest of their days on what was meant to be a side route. And they also had books and records as well as enough money to go to the art house movies and keep those places in business. What a strange town. Curious truckers is a uh, funny way to say. Oh, they're curious. Them lot lizards. Uh, <laughs> I, I never heard that term never? either. Lot Never? Oh, I got that from Sonny. Always Sonny Philadelphia. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. Oh man. Fucking. <laughs> he says uh, it was it was the sticks, but if you're willing to dig, you can get what you needed to feed your head pretty well. Prevailing musical culture in the bars was mediocre R&B and blues and kind of lame jam bands, but some curious, attractive people with real vibrance and intelligence were interested enough to support original music on a low-level DIY scale. That's neat. That kind of reminds me of, uh, obviously not as remote, but like Joshua Tree before it got all all trendy and what it is today. Uh, I've, I'm only familiar with like the desert part of Joshua Tree. Like the park park of Joshua Tree. Yeah, I have mixed feelings about that place, but this episode's going to be long enough. So that's not, Fair not neither here nor there, but you know. Fair enough. Back before it was trendy. Sounds kind of like the same vibe. So Andy says on the same same issue of growing up in Missoula, he says, Missoula had an advantage of in being isolated from any big urban areas. This meant that it wasn't able to be uh, subsumed into any artistic or cultural scene established by an elite in a big city, but it was big enough and had enough cultural inputs, quote unquote, from the local cowboy, logger, hippie, and university scene to feel well-rounded and able to deal with out-of-the-ordinary thinking and creativity. And he goes on to say, he says, um, I could go on all day about that, but a few examples that specifically... Uh, enabled the silkworm inception and growth were things like college students recruiting high schoolers to flesh out their post-punk bands, which is what happened with 
him and Tim in Einheit. Uh, rock show is understood to be to be spectacle plus music. Virtually no restrictions on movement, even for really young people. Not a lot of concern for physical safety. <laughs> self-starting, taken for granted, self-promoted, self-organized events run by people between 14 and 22 years old. So <clears throat> needless to say, he started young, real young in Einheit with Joel obviously Tim and I'm forgetting the name of the main dude in Einheit, uh, Tom Kip. Okay. Uh, as well as uh, John Caps, Capis, Caps. I can't pronounce that. So Einheit, Tim says, uh, Einheit was rooted in post-punk, meaning the less hidebound, ultimately weirder cousin of punk, which melded things like dub and noise and crowd rock to the energy that came out of any good music made in the late seventies. Uh, I say all that because post-punk is used broadly to mean a lot of different things. And that's what I mean when I use it. Fair enough. As uh, we, yeah, as we've covered on this podcast. Post-punk, yeah, really... It, name two post-punk bands that really sound exactly the same. It's like Not really. Yeah. yeah. Like, the fact that Joy Division is post-punk and Killing Joke is post-punk. Like, that's... Those are two different bands, my friend. Or, slint, or like, Slint, yeah. Slint, slint they call it early post-rock, I think. Okay. Yeah, just because... I think, yeah, they, they were, like, the, okay. the pioneers of post-rock. Tim says, Ironheight morphed and expanded from its earliest forms to a comedy out of necessity, the us younger idiots. You brought with us our odd mishmash of stuff that we'd run across and been impressed with, whether it was the Rolling Stones or Dolly Parton or Metallica or whatever. That's how you do it, dude. Uh, John Caps, Capus, uh, Joel Phelps, Tom Kip were all original members of Iron Height and older and cooler than me and <laughs> Andy and Ben Kustra. Uh, the, the first Silkum drummer. Those guys went along with whatever dumb shit we suggested that wasn't too dumb and gently excised the rest. Super valuable lesson in how to manage being in a group. They were also performers in a way that we kind of <clears throat> kind of weren't and maybe still aren't. Seeing them do what they did was transformative, even as spectators, not to mention being on the same stage with them. Uh, these guys give so much, so much credit to, to Iron Height and specifically Joel. Mm-hmm. Like, it's also another interesting thing about that guy. Like, there's no words from him. He's not like again, not in the dock. He left halfway through the, the the band's existence, and they all talk about him with so much love and admiration. That's great. They didn't replace him. They just continued as a three piece. Yeah, like there's so much like deep love for that guy. Yeah, um, so much better than a nasty breakup. So much, uh, and these guys do seem like loving, genuinely nice people. Um, and he says. In regards to Iron High, he says, for me personally, being asked to join that band at the age of 15 was an intro into the big leagues. When you're that young and exposed to the passion and expertise contained in the Iron Height world, you can be a sponge, soak up traditions and inspiration like nobody's business. And that's how I developed quickly into whatever I became and brought to Silkworm a few years later. Now, before I continue with my rambling and endless talking about history, history and whatever, uh, Andy's my favorite guy in this band. Andy's my man. I got that. Oh God. Yeah. He's so good. Yeah. He's so fucking like one of the most underrated guitar players I've ever heard in a long time. Just the just choices he does in like the first six records, he's playing with Joel. So it's a lot of you, know, you hear a lot of noise rock, a lot of trading of lines, a lot of clanginess, a lot of like, you know, everything getting bled together. But as soon as it's a three piece, it's just him. And mm-hmm. there's very few overdubs in most of those albums and he just fucking lets go and he just shines these crazy ass solos are really interesting leads uh and also i like his singing voice the most out of all all three mm. lead singers so he's my man he's my man i was not keeping track of the different uh different vocalists but i will say uh 
there is some uh, worthwhile guitar riffs and drum beats and even bass lines. There's a lot of good to be had. Uh, as for, for voices, the more pavement sounding one, more Stephen Malcolm sounding one is Andy, the more the deeper one. The the really nasally um, Steve Albini sounding one is Joel. And the other one that's a little bit more on, uh, I don't want to say goof, but kind of the goofier voice, mm-hmm. that's that's Tim. Um, and they all kind of sing equally. Tim might sing the most, but there's it's a, it's a fair trading between all three of them, and then two of them once Joel leaves. At this point, we're going to be talking about obviously all the all the albums and including the the, the early tapes before Michael Dalk was joined. And Michael's their their drummer. As soon as mm-hmm. he joins, he's the guy. And it's not just like the the drummer that they would they would stick with. He was like one of them he was like part of the like he had the the right attitude and energy apparently he wasn't even that good of a drummer when they first recruited him which is strange to me because i always i thought he always sounded good but they knew like he had no one was more enthusiastic and intense mm-hmm. like he put his ass into it uh and he just fit but he was killed in 2005 and it was the most upsetting thing i've i <sighs> It's like up there with Tim Taylor from Brainiac. Maybe oh, it's actually more upsetting. Way yeah. actually a lot more upsetting than that. Because his death ended the band because once you lose like a, a brother like that, mm-hmm. there's no point in continuing. But it makes me angry and like really, really fucking emotional. But he was killed along with two other people uh in a car accident. It was not an it was a car intentional. This fucking absolute cunt. She was apparently trying to commit suicide by driving into cars stopped at a stoplight man at high speed and they all died and she survived man and then she got off with like two years in prison fuck and it's like the most unjust like tragic almost cruel like what the at least put her away for fucking 20 years for vehicular manslaughter not even vehicular manslaughter it was like i think they call it first degree vehicular first degree or something like that Mm -hmm. because she intentionally drove into people, but because she was like fucking nut, nuts, they, I don't know. They, they gave her like a lot of leniency because she was fucking nuts, but fuck off, fuck off. Like, and, oh, and then also what I wasn't expecting was to see fucking Steve Albini cry. I never oh, thought I'd shit. see that. And I was like, holy shit. Like it, devastating, devastating. Yeah. I hope she dies alone and not with other people in the vicinity. <laughs> and that's that. But we're not there yet. I just want to get that out of the way because, oh, it's such a f- fucking bummer. Bummer out of the way. We're now only talking about history and music. I mean, it's for, it's for a while. It's, yeah, what are we covering today? Fucking 11 albums total. Ooh, oh, boy. We got a big, long episode, as you can tell. Hello, you bearded animals. Manscaped now has beard products and is going even further with their brand new Weed Whacker 2.0. The leaders in below-the-waist grooming are traveling north of your South Pole with their revolutionary grooming products. The new Weed Whacker 2.0 and their new beard line confirms they have all the best tools for your hygiene toolbox. Time for you to upgrade your game by going to manscaped.com and using our code EAE for 20% off plus free shipping. Before Manscaped, I was using the same electric razor for years. It was a fine razor. It worked. It was cool. It had the best reviews uh, at the time that I could find. The second I got my hands on Manscaped's Beard Hedger, I promptly threw the old one in the trash because it made it look like a stupid bitch. Gentlemen, meet the Beard Hedger Pro Kit. It is the ultimate package that makes it easier than ever to craft your signature look. It all starts with the cordless electric Beard Hedger. The Beard Hedger is tough on hair but smooth on your face, leading to single stroke efficiency that brings satisfaction one stroke at a time. 
This waterproof cordless trimmer has a rotary wheel that gives you 20 haircutting lengths all with one guard, so no more messy drawers full of extra add-ons. Seriously, game changer. The Pro Kit also comes with four dermatologist-tested formulations for your post-trim care. This includes Manscaped's beard shampoo and conditioner, beard oil, and beard balm to moisturize, style, and shimmer your new beard. Plus, the kit has three free gifts, a beard brush, comb, and scissors. With a nice beard, your face is perfectly groomed, right? Wrong. You need to keep an eye out for those tough-to-trim ear and nose hairs. Disgusting. The brand new Weed Whacker 2.0 offers improved blades and skin-safe technology with a no-tugging guaranteed. I can confirm, not one tug. Now that you have your face looking great, you must try Manscaped's Performance Package 4.0 for the full-body grooming experience. And good news, the Performance Package 4.0 now comes with the Weed Whacker 2.0 and all of the other below-the-waist grooming products Manscaped is known for. Your significant other will be delighted to see you covering all bases. That means your dick. So get 20% off from free shipping with our code EAE at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use our code EAE. Always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. All right, let's get back to it. First album, I mean, cassette, whatever the hell you want to call it, came out in 1987. I mean, this says 88, but it might have, I thought it was 87. We're getting mixed things here. Discog says 88. I think it came out in 87. <laughs> should have. Who we knows? Sh- we should have got this straightened out. But. I think the band formed in 87, I believe. But you know what? We'll say 87. Let's mm-hmm. just say 87. <laughs> Fuck, already complicated. And last album came out in 2004. Although they, they released one more EP, their final, final EP in 2006, which I uh, we're not going to be doing a full thing on it, but I did listen to it. And I could talk a little bit about it. Uh, but yeah, 11 total and here we go, baby. You ready? I'm ready. Hell yeah. This is 1987's or eights advantage. Turn that thing down. Not you. So pretty rough quality as expected from a self-released cassette. There's something... There's something about these songs, though, that, like, shine through the rough recording for me. Though. These are good songs. I actually quite love this song. This uh, feels very much like the, like, replacements Husker Dude school, this school is of a, thought. Husker Dude? This whole album is Husker Dude. <laughs> Listen to this. How is this not Husker Du? You mean Husker. I do not mean Husker Du. You sang a shit. I do not mean Husker. (laughs) I can't tell who's singing on this. It's definitely the most, like, snarly. It is. There's also, like, a lot of, like, simultaneous vocals going on. Mm-hmm. I can't exactly tell who that is on there. Worst. What? I- and this is a very technical... So I had a lot of trouble, a lot of trouble picking best and worst for this band. And I I like this album. I enjoy I enjoy yeah. this album. I had Nothing, like, upsets me or offends me about this album. But it is objectively the worst because, one... It's the roughest sounding. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. that's not really a knock on it. I listen to plenty of music that sounds like ass, but the way it's sequenced and paced is is, is by far the sloppiest and and least um uh, what's the word like coherent. There's some really 
baffling choices with the the flow of this album. It's also the longest album. It's like 56 minutes. Is it really the long? No way. Yeah. It's really fucking long and there's a lot of fat and all of that combined with the fact that this sounds just like Husker Du. It doesn't sound like any, it sounds just like Husker Du in a lot of these songs. You know what? I don't give a care. I thought long and hard about this and I'm just going to give this my personal favorite. You know what happens to the best of us? You, my best was your worst on fucking the last discography we did. So I enjoy like how raw and honest this is. And it's not like a home run by any means. There are, there are songs that go on too long. Oh uh, yeah. That, that's another thing. Um, a few of these songs, they would go on to re-record. Uh, yeah, a good amount of them. Like that was St. Patrick's Day. They and, do record that one. And for those of you, uh, if you want to check out Even a Blind Chicken, finds a kernel of corn now That's and right. then. Yeah. That has some of these songs on it. Um, they record plenty. They record uh, Little Sister. Definitely re- record Little Sister. Oh, you know what? Maybe that's those two only. Uh, now that I think about it. Might only be those two songs. But yeah, there's this, I don't know, um, may, maybe I wasn't a broken man yet, so I, I look back on this more fondly. It is, a, it is a nice record. I didn't, it does feel nice going down, but it's also, it's like, yeah, it sounds just like Husker Du, but it's not also, it's also not Husker Du. There's still plenty that separates it. Like, uh, there's a song, So Much Loss. Yeah, feels damn good. When that guitar solo starts, it's almost a metal song, and I wasn't expecting yeah, that at all. This uh, something that, that we don't really. Hear. This might be some of the tightest they've ever been because this drummer Ben, mm-hmm. as much as Michael's like their drummer, they're the guy for them. Ben is a fucking insanely good drummer. Yeah, both drummers are are very tight. I can like hear that. They're very tight, but on this album. The drum is basically the first two albums, the albums with Ben, he basically holds everything together. Mm-hmm. And a lot of his choices are really proggy and really, really interesting choices. Yeah. Really, uh, really good to hi hat work. And even like some cowbell stuff is in there. Uh, very fucking good drummer. Speaking of making some prog rock choices on Little Sister, I'm like, is that like a, a Native American flute on that song? Or uh, yeah. I should have listened to the re-recorded one, but uh, it's the re-recorded one is well. We'll talk about the re-recorded one, but it's yeah, it's this weird, like they do big epic, but like <clears throat> mellow, mellow epics. <laughs> So my problem with the mellow epics, even though I think they're they're fine songs, and I think the biggest problem with this album, aside from the length mm-hmm. and the songs dragging and something like Who's Could Do and the production being bad, <laughs> Push the Sun and Little Sister back to back is fucking insane. That's, that's they're the same. They're the same song. They're basically they're like this. They're like the same song. I felt like those songs were different enough. The one that like kind of felt repetitive to me was tumble that one i was like you know we just had the big yeah epic i don't i'm not a huge fan of tumble but so like push the sun and little sister i like both of them you put them back to back on the same album Mm -hmm. i i I don't i only can like one Mm -hmm. so that's why i was so glad they re-recorded little sister and it was a different context they added more to it they added more riffs to it they changed the arrangements here it's just the main riffs on both songs are so similar. Mm-hmm. And we should probably put it on. 
<laughs> Which one, Mike? Push the Sun comes on first in the album. Let's try that one first. All right. Right here. This is a beautiful course, by the way. <laughs> I was going to say, there's the other reason I think I... No, just remember remember this. Yeah. It's fucking awesome, but remember this. Now put on Little Sister. Just next track. Oh, you're right. It's the, it's the right. same key. It's the same first three notes. Yeah. So they're both great songs, but like you... Like logically, you'd be like, you pick one of them for the album, and then I, and then what they do with Little Sister later on is that's not even how the song starts anymore. So it's like they, I think, I feel like they knew that they they took. You're telling me they ditched the flute? I think they ditched the flute, but also that's a shame. But it, it, it opens differently. It opens with a completely different riff. It feels like a different song. And if that version was on this album, there would be no issue at all. Yeah, it's just it's just an it's a thing I couldn't ignore. I think uh, another reason. <laughs> I like this one is there's also like an element of like goth rock to it that doesn't. How so? Or it feels gothy to me more than like it's it's by far the darkest and moodiest thing they'll do. I don't think so. I think they get pretty. There's one section I think they get dark and moody. Uh, like in the middle of the career, and then they then they abandon that. Uh, Personally, I, this but, is. is but dark. there there is still some dark stuff on here. Like the first few records, it has more dark. Per, yeah, probably uh, by volume than most of the stuff. And then also, uh, I'm surprised that you're okay with stuff like uh, like the closer. She has everything. Um, I didn't. Unless you're not a fan of that. No, I part. I didn't particularly love it, but that's the thing with the band where I don't like love uh too much i gotta pick something so i mean i do i do like it but it's also like man it sounds it reminds me obviously a ton of never talking to you again by who's good there you go <laughs> again it's not, it's not the same song but you could so i i was hearing this like obviously they were influenced by them and i didn't see anything about them they didn't cite them in any of the interviews I was like mm-hmm. huh and then in the doc in the early days, you see Tim with the Who's Could Do shirt. I was like, there yeah, it is. There it is. I'm not crazy. I'm not yeah. fucking crazy. Um, I, The other thing I'll point out is the song Pretty Girls. Is this oh, is yeah. A pretty, like, s- serious album. And Pretty Girls is more playful. Joyful and, poppy. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of nice to have that break up all the, the other things. Yeah. there's They have a lot of... I mean, I think they're... <laughs> It's so funny, like the albums that they like the most and that fans like the most, I think are the worst at pacing things with like the more moody and, and big and lengthy stuff uh, spaced in between these these kind of uh, high energy, you know, uplifting short tracks. I don't know what anyone likes, so I'm going to find out. You're going to, oh, you're going to find out. You're going to find out. Uh, but what, uh, what says the band about this? <laughs> Well, let's talk a little bit. About, thank Christ that we have some in, info about this because this obscure piece of so obscure. Yeah. So Tim said uh, we didn't have zero experience with recording. Both Joel and I had done a, a lot of four track demos on cassette by the time we did those tapes, uh, meaning Advantage and the, the next album. Um, but we had never been in a studio before, so we were totally winging it on that front. I remember Advantage being a complete cram job and getting done in one overnight session. Oh shit! Oh boy. 
It's not the first time they do that either. <laughs> uh, our friend Saxon engineered it and got it all cranked out. We were pretty psyched about it at the time. I had just joined the uh, the band and wedged a couple of songs onto it that aren't very good. Joel's shit on there is pretty indelible, whether or not you get the whole picture from the tapes. I think you, we do. Because you you hear a significant shift from when Joel leaves mm-hmm. in the songwriting. Like the songs feel different. Yes. It's a, it, he, his presence is very much a thing uh andy says uh, in regards to this he's he says i recall advantage being chock full of really good songs but i haven't listened to it in years i think i'll continue not to listen to it so as not to spoil my recollection we recorded it at the university of montana radio station with volunteer help a high school classmate of ours named saxon holbrook he he, he and ben and and, uh, and saxon actually they were all in uh, in mm-hmm. high school at the time, holy fucking shit! Um, considering everyone's lack of experience, um, Saxon actually did a great job, and I recall Advantage having an appealing murkiness. There we go. There it is. We can still hear all the important elements of the loud rock band with suitable prominence. Stupidly, I think that we mostly overdub most of the parts rather than going for a much simpler and vibier live in the studio style. Thinking at the time that that's how it was done or something. For this reason, it took way longer and was more painful to record and mix than it should have been. But live and learn. Well, there we go. I'm glad I'm not crazy. No. And also, live and learn they did because they would proceed to work with C. Balbini, who is the king of live in the studio recording. Forever. Forever. <laughs> Forever. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, this is also, I should have said it at the, the top of the podcast, but the most like un Steve Albini band, I think, that he's worked with for a long, long time. Because he works with a ton of bands that I mean, he's a job. He doesn't like like mm-hmm. all of them, so you forget that he's still recording a bunch of bands that don't really fit the bill of like what we associate with Albini. And I, and I thought of this band but, like I didn't think he would like this band. But yeah, I would say more often than not, though you can you can like see or hear the connection. And here it's just like night and day. Oh yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. And also uh, watching the dog, you get the the sense like oh he. He loved the guys. He he liked the music. He. I mean, if to continue to work with people for decades. Not just that. He went. His love for this band is way way further than that. He would just eventually stop charging them. Oh, because wow. he liked hanging out with them. He's like, I, I would be rather cram all this stuff in a, in a stressful situation and crank it out overnight because they can't afford it or can I just not charge them have a good record and hang out with my friends what a fucking mensch Steve Albini is a complex man but boy does he have values and I fucking uh, god that's beautiful I love that I don't think well I don't I don't think he's that co- like I get I get him he's just opinionated I think that's all it is yeah like I like I, most people with um I don't know I I like him. I, I love like, him. I fucking yeah. love him. Um, and I especially love his stance on Steely Dan. Ooh, everyone Google that. <laughs> that's uh that's a whole nother podcast, but I will say uh, it was kind of funny and hypocritical. Oh, absolutely. I fucking, I fucking yeah. love it. You gotta be passionate about something, I guess. He doesn't like them, by the way, which is I'm a huge fan of not liking Steely Dan. Uh, but Alex's personal favorite and my worst because it's just a, a different thing. And I think even though there's other albums that I, I don't enjoy listening to as much as this one, uh, the the formulation of it is just so is flawed on so many ends and it's very long. I think that's it's, that's it's flawed, but it's it's 
very appealing to me in a lot of lot of ways. It's still nice, which is why I didn't give it least favorite. Yeah, I still I can still go back to this one, hundred yeah. uh, percent. But we have plenty more to get to. Plenty more to get to. You're gonna you're gonna have to set the record straight for me on this one because I'm not sure what I listened to. But we're okay. Gonna, we're so, gonna we're gonna break it like DX. We're gonna break it down. Yeah, this one is a little. It's is it's as hard to find as the other one. Obviously, it's still the self released tape era of the band. Uh, this came out in 1989. This is Girl Harbor. I hope that's how you pronounce it. Already, man, those fucking drums. Very, very, very creative drumming. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Still banned at this point. So it's still self-recorded or whatever, but it does sound better. Noticeably better. Also noisier. Yes. Way noisier. This does not sound like who's to do anymore. I can't put it on the playlist we're going to make, but if I could, this way. If there will be a playlist, which there might not be. Whoa, what? We didn't, we didn't make it to the sword. I... I swore I did. It's empty when I checked it. <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about this. <laughs> this is fucking. This is rad. This is like noisy to kill. Yeah. You can kind of see it like all the time. It's a great song. It's a great song, and we're leaving it long because we can't find it anywhere else. Yes. Okay. So what? What songs? So, so because we got what? these on Soul Seek, as we explained earlier, uh, there was a bunch of extra songs on the version that we got. Okay. The first five are Girl Harbor. Okay. So a- ending at what's the song? Where's my fucking notes? Enough is enough. Yes. There we go. Um. Okay. So. Also, I feel like the song "A Tunnel" comes up a ton, or maybe I just it gets re- it gets recorded later on. Okay, uh, on um, yeah, it's Libertine. Where so on Joel's last album, they be recorded. Mm-hmm. So a good while from now. I still wasn't like tired of the band yet. Here though, this this one I was a little worried because of like, the execution of this one is just so. First of all, this is the only album of its kind in this discography. So in that alone, I, I already like it. Yeah, uh, it's very long and this isn't like a long album there's only five five tracks but if it's five tracks there's a long tracks these mm-hmm. are every song goes on way even the opener of pearl harbor which i like it's way too long it's like it's like six minutes of the same things over and over again i just i love that drumming so much just give me six minutes of the that. drums are yeah. the best part of this album i feel like even even on a tunnel uh, even though i do like the version later on probably more the drums here are incredible. There, this is where the cowbell is shit. I was gonna say, yeah, there's like a uh like a clicky cowbell or like a 
a brick type yeah. thing and it's it's kind of overwhelming on this version i find it i find it to be kind of cool um and then around three and a half minutes 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 uh it takes a total shift it speeds up um i don't love the vocal performance on there and it, it is rough but it's still a good song um, i i ultimately i'm glad they, they re-recorded they also re-recorded enough is enough so um i think there's I, only two songs on this this record that they get re-recorded i like i I swear I'm not just doing this to be like contrary either. Like <laughs> I like this version of enough is enough better because like um, I start getting the names mixed up, but they bought up like the dub influence mm-hmm. earlier and you can hear it. You can hear it in this version. Interesting. Maybe it's cause I don't like dub. Then <laughs> Maybe. And then, yeah, the like the updated version, like the dub influence is completely gone. I was like, the rhythm is very different. Yeah. I was like a very different drummer. I was like, that was my favorite part of the song. Uh, Why? The reason I like the song. And I think actually, not only do I like the other version better, I like it way more. (laughs) I like the other version so much more than this one. You know what? That's probably why (laughs) you like the bad. Probably. Yeah, probably. Um, so these, I'm just going to call them bonus tracks. Uh, I guess I, I, I didn't listen to all of them. I don't think I did this list because I listened to it before you texted me that because before you talk about them, I had a lot of trouble finding out even where they're from. I couldn't find them on singles. I checked all of discogs. I have no idea where these songs came from. So, yeah, I don't know where these songs came from, except the one one man on Soul Seek. Maybe he knows. Maybe he knows. Um, but you have a song like Andrea, which feels more like the replacements, uh, Midwest punk prayer. You can, you get more very cool drumming and then inside out, which they, which is on the compilation. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's like one of their heaviest songs ever. And I like inside out. All right. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. Every song is super long. Each one is vastly different, which is what I like about it. Mm-hmm. There's a ton of diversity. This might be their most diverse album, period. Which I is think also, that's fair. Yeah, yeah, it's very bizarre that, that it's this one. <laughs> the second one that's not available. Anywhere. Uh, Authority is track three, and it's like one of their first actual aggressive, like tough songs. Oh, I dude. do not like it I, at all. <laughs> I It's so crazy. I've talked about it before. Like... I it took me a while to like get into helmet, but mm-hmm. once I'm there, if I'm like this sounds like helmet, and uh, there's worse bands you could sound like. Oh, hundred percent, that's great. But uh, my main problem with it is literally is something as basic and simple as a production. There's no crunch. There's no power. Mm. Um, it's one of the weakest sounding heavy songs ever. Where if helmet covered it, it Hel- would have that crunch and power. Helmet's a crunchy band. They're the crunchiest. Crunchiest. And then, since we're on the train of, train of, of how fucking weird and different every song is, Georgia is there is the only song in their entire discography that sounds like that. It is super new wavy. Yeah, the, the drum and bass really shines on that song. Fantastic. Yeah. Beautiful. And, and the guitars are really spacey and, and shoegazy and really floating around. Uh, and it's, it's fucking awesome. Except... It's seven minutes and halfway through the song, I'm done with the song. <laughs> like, it, that's it, every song on here for me, pretty much. That one does wear out. It's welcome a little bit. It's a very, it's a very interesting album. It's unlike any other in the discography. And let's see what the, the boys have to say about it. Tim said, 
By Girl Harbor, we were down to three of us uh, as Andy had gone off to Columbia University four times. So this is the time that Andy moved to, okay. to New York. He says that the sessions were more leisurely and that we did the work over the course of a couple of days. <clears throat> Tim Martin recorded it and did a good job. I've had occasion to listen back to some of it recently. As usual with that older stuff, Joel is the clear ace in the group. I was still kind of fumbling around some moments of insight, but generally don't quite have it figured out yet. But some of it is pretty great. Hold on. Hold on. Hold, hold on. Hold on, dude. He said he listened to it recently. Oh, oh, oh. Put it out. Put it out. <laughs> I don't know if you can. I'll look oh, at it. okay. I, and that's and something we'll get into later on is the fucking, man, it's just so unfair. The, the, but, the relationship with record, like even, even small labels, like they've struggled on every label they've been a part of. Also, fans of this podcast will know, like... Even if I'm indifferent on the band, I'm always make like, it available. I want to like preserve everything, so that gives me a little bit. Actually, that gives me a little bit of hope. Just please make it streaming. I know it costs like a uh, you know, fucking uh, hundred bucks a year or whatever the fuck it costs. Just please. I guess I'm just relieved to know it's not like lost to the the times. I hope not. Yeah, because yeah, this is like the Joel record. If you really mm-hmm. think about it, um, he says. He goes on to say, I would like to be able to go back in time and see any of it live, at least for a little while. We shipped the tapes to some record labels and zines blindly, some kind rejections, some decent notices, some bewilderment. Uh, He says, I remember treating tapes with Megan from Calamity Jane in in Olympia and Girl Harbor was called Girl Harbor (laughs) and had a picture on it taken from the village voice of a young woman wearing a leather bra. Not super progressive. Uh, She looks cold, Megan said. I love that. Such an incredibly polite and borderline diss. (laughs) Man. Who would have thought someone from Calamity Jane would be a little uptight? <laughs> I've never heard of uh, Calamity Jane. I heard the name. I never heard. Okay. I never heard them though. Um, and Andy says, uh, uh, "Tim, Tim, Ben, and Joel recorded Girl Harbor without me while I was away at Columbia, so I don't have any memories of the recording or le- or learnings either. I think it probably stands up. I recall it being great. Awesome. It, it, yeah, it, it is so much. That explains why it's so different from the rest. Mm-hmm. It is. All, it is Joel's thing, mm-hmm. and." Even though it's not my favorite thing ever, and I, I there's a lot, a lot of problems with it, the diversity and the the wa- and the unpredictability of it is was I think it makes fun. it worth a listen. Hundred uh, percent. But after this, that's when they re- re- relocated to Seattle. Um, Tim says Seattle was the easy choice, closest big city, and we knew some people there. Uh, other tramp- transplants. In retrospect, Chicago or San Francisco or New York would have been better for us as a group, but those places would have been big lifts. I don't know what it would have been like for us as human beings to make one of those moves uh, on ma- mass. Living in Seattle was basic at the time. Jobs were everywhere. Rent was low and you could keep yourself fed and clothed for almost nothing. Oh man, what a... <sighs> fucking wish anywhere in the country was like that now. <laughs> so they moved to Seattle and it doesn't get better uh so, so they move in in, in 1990 and uh they have they can they play like some small places uh but it, more or less it was kind of the same deal as missoula like mm-hmm. they were always in between genres and they 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 maybe only kind of fit in with a, a small group group of people or other handful of bands yeah like little clicks or whatever and it wasn't <clears throat> just wasn't any any good and then what he says when he when he when he first arrived or what tim says when he first arrives he says there were too many bands and most of them seemed terrible in the first couple of years after we got there 
10 and Nevermind and the movie Singles came out and the whole thing got borderline unbearable. Fortunately, we got out on the road starting in 92 and avoided being around for a lot of silliness. Says the big thing about Seattle, the one crucial thing was meeting Michael Dahlquist and bringing him into the group. I can't imagine that the worm would have been, would have been, I can't imagine what the worm would have been like otherwise. Everything else about Seattle was meaningless compared to that. Oh, wow. Apparently it was a fucking nightmare because, I mean, never mind just comes out. Yeah. And then you just get a billion shitty bands trying to jump on that, on the, the hype train. Or maybe trying to like. <laughs> labels and stuff trying to pigeonhole them into that thing and that's not what they are but also um it became so like saturated that there was always a show happening Mm -hmm. and they're obviously they're all the same kinds of bands so they'll be at at a bar playing a thing to like 10 people that just happen to be in the bar. They're not exactly there to see them. Mm-hmm. They're like almost there by accident. I think one of the, one of the members said that's what it felt like. And they didn't care about the band. They, they, it was just too, it was too much. It's, it's, exa- yeah. it's a perfect example of when you put too many things in one city uh, or you, you, you uh, jam pack a scene mm-hmm. until it's overflowing. So Andy on, on his move to Seattle, cause he was in New York at the time. He says it was an easy decision for me. He says on a beautiful late autumn, New York day, I went across campus to this dungeon in one of the buildings where we had to pick up our mail. And there was a postcard from Tim. It said something just like, Hey, Joel, Hey, Joel and I are moving to Seattle. Uh, ben isn't going, you should move too. <laughs> and pretty good. That's kind of all right. He says, I'm sure there is some psychological jargon descriptive for my reaction, some combination of just the right message received and just the right chemical, emotional state or whatever. But my instant reaction was, yes, I was really happy at Columbia. All systems were go. Uh, but there was no doubt at that instant that I was going to take the suggestion. And six weeks later, we were all in Seattle. <laughs> I don't even, I can't, I can't imagine moving to a new city across the country in six weeks. I can on like a, I get, I get that, yeah. but it's like, if you, I would get it more of like he hated college and he's like, I, mm-hmm. I feel like I, this is, I should be doing something else. But, but he was <laughs> like comfortable and doing well there. <laughs> yeah, this is good. Ah, whatever. I maybe I'll do it. I maybe I won't do it anymore. I like my friends more. That's yeah, kind of, but it's a whole new thing now. Now we're moving on to, uh, it's still very hard to get a hold of, but it's not a tape and they, mm-hmm. It was put out by, it was still self-released. It was just funded by one of their friends. Yeah. So there was a little bit more here. Are you ready? I'm ready. Hell yeah. This is, and this is the album I can't pronounce. Uh, 1982's uh, Lair? I think it's Lair. L apostrophe A-J-R-E. Close enough. I think it's Lair. Okay, whatever. St. Patrick's Day for the... Same opener, same opener as the first album, but different. A little different. Different. Quite different, actually. This is probably the version that's on the compilation. Yeah, yeah. Completely different song. Same riffs, obviously, but I'm talking over it. Whatever. I think this is Joel singing. 
if I had to guess. I don't know. It's probably Joe, but I, I could never. These early albums are hard to tell. That's a cool shift. It really is. Very, very unexpected. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Then I'm good. Doesn't sound like Whiskey Do anymore. Same song. No. But now it yeah. sounds like their own thing. Symbols very bright and pingy, and it sounds like there's more notes yeah. being played than there is. Oh. We didn't get to this part in the last version, but this is an excellent fucking, <laughs> excellent here. Oh, I love this. Love it. It does. Adding that acoustic guitar does bring out some some other element in that song too. Yeah, uh, good scenario where I think uh, doesn't usually when a song's re-recorded, it's always like I like this version or whatever. Both versions are cool. So for these first, well, for all the, the songs that they do re-record. Uh, this is the only band in recent memory I can, I can think of where I'm excited. Like, mm-hmm. fuck yeah, that that out that song is getting the the treatment I guess that it, that it deserved. It's it's getting like it's never just a straight re-record. It's always like a a really drastic arrangement change yes. in it too. Like, obviously the original didn't start out with a fucking dramatic acoustic section, mm-hmm. uh, and that's not the only time. Every time they re-record something, it's always like we're we're improving it. We're not we're not just fucking making it sound cleaner, uh, which I always respect and enjoy. This album is where I started getting into the band. This, I definitely noticed more of a, uh, you know, to put a label on it, more of a shift to that, that indie alt rock vibe. Yeah. um, A little more 90 sounding as opposed to the, I, I'm just going to call it Midwestern punk. Cause yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I noticed, I started thinking more of bands like Dino Jr. And Sebado and and the like hundred percent. I noted that as well. Um, also this is the first album with Michael on drums. So this is like the core Mm -hmm. lineup. Um, everything I, as you heard, I don't know who recorded this, uh, but it's it sounds really fucking good. Uh, the, obviously, they'll sound better when Steve uh, Albini comes into the picture. But it still sounds fucking light years better than everything before it. And still, some of these songs are uh, probably some of my favorites uh, ever from this band, such as uh, "Scrawl" and this version of "Little Sister," mm-hmm. uh, which I think is 
v- 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 vastly superior to the original. <laughs> I fucking love this version of Little Sister. It's so good. It's so damn deep and fucking dark. Uh, I don't know. It just, it's like it's whole, it's a whole different thing. It's a whole different thing. I do like um, the previous version. Little, I like my little sister with uh, flutes in it. Fair enough. <laughs> but I do like the, from the previous song slow burn into little sister how there's like this noisy bridge where it kind of brings them together slow burn for one it is nine minutes Mm -hmm. there are still some insane lengthiness it is a slow burn it indeed indeed is i forgot that this band fucked around with insanely long songs in the beginning Mm because they don't do that later on but uh i was pretty off put by it Um, i was like this is not that interesting and then as it went on, I was like, it's getting kind of gaining some momentum. Like, all right, it's getting faster and it's really loud. It's like, all right, it's very moving. I get that. And then toward the end, I'm like, this is fucking insane. The final two minutes is the, the craziest, heaviest thing they've done yet. It's so cool. <laughs> and it just turned the whole thing around for me. Yeah. Yeah. I think my um, favorite song on here that's not a re recorded song or reimagined song is Three Beatings. I, I like the interplay of the guitar and the bass on that song, and the bass just like i don't want to say steals the show but really shines. it is the star of the show in that song 100 yeah. percent uh at seven minutes does go on a bit long for me i do mm-hmm. but i do like the song I, it's songs like that that i don't even understand how they're that long <laughs> yeah and then the most uh probably perplexing song on here is Sh- shithead uh the final two tracks i don't know why they were included oh, okay uh i i again we'll probably never know shithead sounds like absolute dick it's 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 worse than the first album in terms of demo quality it's crazy it sounds like 80s thrash sometimes yeah it has like like gang vocals in it (laughs) are they gang vocals are they dogs barking hey what's the difference you know a lot of gangs have dogs in the yard (laughs) and dmx did check out that episode for some reason uh and then pearl harbor it sounds like it was recorded inside a dumpster but it is a live track but it also we had that Pearl Harbor was the opener on the last album mm-hmm. and this version somehow sounds worse than that. I don't, why is it on here? I have no idea why it's on here. It's only, only that person will know. I suppose. Well, yeah. Cause it, Scruffy would have been a great closer. Mm-hmm. It's like prog indie. How many, how many songs can you point to that sound like prog indie? Not, not too many things. Yeah. It, it, it's, I don't love it. It's like some of the other songs in here, but it's still like, it has a lot going on. I still appreciate it. Uh, and overall, I was, I was pretty jazzed about about this album. I mean, it kind of takes a shit on itself at the end with those two tracks, but I like the direction it's going. Uh, uh, I'm not dreading it, and it sounds fucking satisfying. And, it, and it's also, again, I was really charmed by the fact that them re-recording songs is a good thing, mm-hmm. where for in most cases it's not, or is it, or it's like um kind of redundant or. There's a, a, a at, weird ulterior at, motive for it. At best, it's a wash. Usually, uh, this is going to be a stupid, irrelevant comparison, but the whole Taylor Swift re-recording her cat, her whole whatever catalog because of rights and mm-hmm. whatever. And whatever, I mean, like, cool, you want your music back, but also you're kind of killing your, your music by doing that. Like, what the fuck? Like, I, 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 dis- I disagree with that. The thing is, I, I, so you disagree with that. And I heard recently, uh, someone asked Rick Rubin about it 
And the guy asking him, he was like, I think it's a great idea for her to get control of her stuff back and whatever. Mm-hmm. And Rick Rubin was like, I disagree with, with her doing that so heavily because there was something that goes into making a song at the time, even if it's not exactly what, what maybe you have imagined, mm-hmm. it takes on a life of its own after it's done. Like it is that thing now. And, and some, even if you record it uh, as identical as you can, yeah, you're a different person now than you were when you recorded that. The air is different. The the circumstance is different. Uh, how you feel when you're singing is different. It's It will never be the same. And to not have that original available, I think is, is that that should be a crime. Should at least have I, everything available. I, I don't like Taylor Swift, by the way, this is just <laughs> removing her from this. I don't disagree with what he, I totally agree with all that, but I will, I will always, always side with the artist. I don't, I, I appreciate the, the, the reason because you want to keep your shit, but as a guy who also makes his own shit, like make, better shit than like because people have an attachment because once you make something at least my belief once you make something and you release it to the world it's no longer yours it's mm-hmm. now the world uh don't take it from those people because you want your thing back i make, th- make something else beautiful equally good that they can also enjoy leave it for them it's I, not yours anymore i think the circumstance is so fucked up i'm just like yeah whatever do it I'm just glad I don't like her music, so I don't I don't actually care. But I'll tell you what I do care about and why I'm actually pissed off about something. It's not exactly the same situation, but it's similar. Last year, they remastered Dirt by Allison Chains. Mm-hmm. Fucking dog shit. Oh shit. You thought I hated the because re- I've heard the original all let's just say a lot. Okay. A lot. So I I know every single fucking frequency in those songs, whether I like it or not. Yeah. And uh, there's a certain thing about it that, that I like and that I don't like about the original mix, whatever the remaster. It is when you hear most remasters, it's usually just like a, a, a uh, like a slight cleanup, mm-hmm. a shinier version, something that maybe they, they'll bring up some levels in this particular area. It's such a vastly, it sounds like a different mix. It sounds oh, way different. And that's the only version you could find streaming. Now they got rid of the original. Yeah, I don't know that album you the way you do, but that does bum me out because I like I have the, the remaster, so that bums me out. But whatever. Yeah, I think what uh, across the board, if a remaster or a remix is quieter than every other song on your playlist. That's not a good sign. And it, it went from being the same volume to being drastically quieter than every Damn. Like it's, a, it's a weird master. It's a weird remaster. Damn. I did not pick up on that. I'm going to have to give it a try. If you do a side by side, like there, are, I mean, there's, it doesn't sound bad, but if you like the original, it mm-hmm. is not the original. This has mm-hmm. nothing to do with Silk Room. Sorry. But why, why did we bring this up? Because of the re recording of songs. That's why we, that's why I brought that up. Oh. Sorry for the fucking detour. But uh, it's a cool ass album. And, yeah, here's what Tim had to say about it. Um, he says it was better. It was a better cleanup version of what we had done on the tapes. Some overlap with the songs, but not a ton. My shit was better. Andy has a genuinely great song in it. Scrawl, I agree. Uh, which kickstarted things for him on the writing front. We played that one until the end of the band. That's actually kind of beautiful. That's awesome. I love Andy's songs. I love his his singing voice. I love his guitar playing. Um, and hearing that, it's like, this is where it started. Okay, mm-hmm. very nice. Tim goes on to say, Lair 
Man, I really hope that's how you pronounce it. Lair was representative of our development as a group, but it didn't really capture our sound as a whole. It took working with Steve Albini to get that. That said, Little little Sister and Scruffy on that thing were, are awesome and pointed us towards a bigger, more live wave recording on the records to come. Now, this is how this album was released. Mm-hmm. Fucking wild. He says, some friends funded the CD with their wedding money, which was extremely kind, and fortunately, it sold well enough to pay them back. No biz people gave a shit or were at all interested in putting it out. I, you're some good ass friends, dude. <laughs> also, when you're a smaller band, I think if you can uh, get out of the red, that's that's a win. That's it's, an absolute win. It's it sucks. It's not ideal, but it's better than being the red. Yeah, it reminds me of uh, the Jim Croce album. Was it his first one? His first album where his parents? Oh yeah, yeah, like, yeah. The f- white that was a wedding it was the gift. wedding gift right yeah. yeah they said here's here's some money do your little music thing get it out of your system fail and then get a job at a factory they're like they wanted to get it out of his system like we'll pay for it just fucking enough and he said hey mom and dad you don't mess with jim <laughs> you, don't, you don't mess around with jim now you don't mess you don't tug on superman's cape <laughs> And he went on to be fucking amazing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> love Jim Crow. Check out that episode. Uh, Andy, Andy says about this album, he says, I think Lair was a, was a pretty linear next step from the earlier cassettes uh, recorded in the Missoula period. Same style. We had played more and gotten better. In some ways, the more professional, quote unquote, recording was a step backward. The vibe of the mushier, denser Missoula recording suited the material in some ways. Uh, an idea that I think was confirmed by the live in the studio recordings included on... Um, on Lair, uh, which were the best things on the album, I think. So Little Sister and Scruffy were both recorded live, and that I mean, those are some of the best songs in the album. I mean, I, th- I think Little Sister more, of course. I think I'm an Andyman. Andyman's, Andyman? As, as a fellow Andyman? Yeah. He's, I, the, he's the man, dude. I think I disagree with him on most things so far. Yeah, you, you're going to disagree with him pretty hard later on, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I'm mostly, a, I'm, a, I'm an Andyman, for sure. <laughs> Although I do quite love everybody in this band. Um, he he last thing he says he says i don't remember a lot about the reception maybe that it started the traditional silkworm fan response which is a, a few people who loved it a lot and a lot of indifference beyond that <laughs> that does bum me out because they yeah. worked so hard they made 11 albums that's more than the sex pistols can say yeah and they put they they did so much in their career and they were so consistent uh god but this next album, enter goddamn Steve Albini, who will stay with them until the very end. And this was put out on CZ Records. And I, I don't remember the details. It was a very, obviously a very small label. They put out, I think, maybe a, something by the Melvins and I forget, but it was like. I feel like, yeah, we've talked about CZ. It's at least maybe once. Yeah. It's like a very, yeah, very niche, but they decided to put out this record and. The next one? Maybe the next one as well? No, 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 no. They put out just this album, and it was a very brief period, and Steve Albini's now in the picture, and I guess we might as well fucking talk about it. You ready? I'm ready. Hell yeah. So this is 1984's In the West. Hello, Steve Albini. You can hear it immediately in those drums. I believe in this time period, uh, 
this album along with the next one was recorded in the same place that Steve recorded in utero. Like this weird cabin kind of place. Yeah. Maybe it was this, you know, I don't know exactly where it was. I think it was in a, there's a name for it. Where is it called? Um, Hell's Gate. That's what, it, that's what it was. Hell's Gate. I believe. That's what they called it anyway. Also, this is a surprisingly moody opener. Yes. Uh, this is my favorite song. I love this song. Those drums are really the defining characteristic here. They're so busy and they're so fun. The bass drum. Yeah. Sounds good. God, it's a fucking pretty ass song. Yeah, I, I quite I enjoyed it. <laughs> I like that song. Well, sorry, buddy. Best. Oh, fuck. I I really like this album. I, I, I could have gave something else best. I almost gave something else best. This one, I think, just grabbed me from the start and kind of um, uh, what w- edged this one out, I think, is the actual flow of this one, the pacing. Mm-hmm. There's really no dips. Um, and it has, along with... Well, at least most of the albums have at least one song that's like one of their best songs ever, but yeah. this has a lot. And I, I tease it at the at the top. Uh, Raised by Tigers is one of my favorite songs by them. It's one of their fuck, fucking absolute best songs. It's, it's so beautiful. It has so much character, amazing buildup. And that song at four, four minutes 30, a full-on pavement Easter egg, uh, <laughs> a whole section taken from the song in the, in the Mouth of Desert from their... Uh, Santa and Enchanted, Pavement's first album. My favorite song off that album. And I I know that that, that <laughs> line anywhere. It's like it's uh, on the pavement song, it's a guitar line and a vocal line. They're singing like the, the same thing, or they're they're playing the same melody. And then in this song, uh the guitar is doing that lead in the background while everything else is happening. Mm-hmm. And it's very clearly in the in the mouth of the desert. And it's like that's that's fun. That's yeah. fun. And it's also an amazing song on its own, too. <laughs> I was not impressed by that You're song. out of your fucking mind. It's fucking beautiful. Mike's, so good. Mike's right. I'm wrong. <laughs> um, and then also this album has this, the recorded version of, of Enough is Enough, which I think is eons better than the original. I already stated how I feel about <laughs> it. Oh, I love it so much. I liked the dub stuff in the the first version. There is no dub stuff in this version. There is not, but the drums are, again, Michael is a very different drummer than, than Ben, but he still st- deal with a lot of the show here uh, like on dream eight which is another song that's really big and emotional uh and spacious and lengthy and i think it's fucking awesome yes. are incredible on that song also this is not really a, a screaming band but you get some screaming very few like the, maybe one or two times in the no they, they yell and they do impassioned mm-hmm. yell but there's not a lot, a lot of screaming um yeah a lot of so i noted this with a lot of albums and a lot of songs and it's very clear, like, when I like something from this band, I can't exactly tell you why it's good. 
And if I, if I don't like it, I can't even tell you it's bad. Cause it's just, <laughs> it's just one of those things. Like you might get it and you might be into it and it might gel with you or it won't. And if you say it sucks, you can't back that up. It doesn't suck, but it's just like, I'm just, I don't know. It's not for me. I don't see why I don't see what's so interesting about that, but it's, but if it, hits that point that pavement point that pavement gene in your fucking brain it just feels great it just feels good yeah i don't think i have that gene i don't think you do either but there's still so much that i love on your fucking i mean every song even the, the closer pilot which i i don't love um i think it's the weakest song even then i still liked it more on multiple listens um wait pilots the close the- well the boat there's bonus tracks oh okay and, and i i did note the bonus. so the bonus tracks are um a cover of a in the in the bleak midwinter which was put out on a split with engine kid who, and they, they did little drummer boy. So it's like a, mm-hmm. a themed split. Uh, and then, uh, in conduce, California, which was originally released on the, yeah, the into the woods single that song fucking rules. I think it's great. I like actually into like, the woods or, uh, in conduce California. That one started <clears throat> venturing too much into like the, um, like lyrically it was if reminded me of like some folk rock stuff lyrics with this band are are fucking strange and goofy and kind of funny also, and interesting also i i really don't know the history of emo music that well but i feel like at times maybe we should be talking about silkworm cuz there's times like on California where I'm like, this sounds like early, like real emo, not what it right devolved into. But I mean, it, it, if embrace in right to spring, check out both of those episodes. If they can essentially pioneer it, this isn't that far. Um, uh, at least from like a, an, an impassioned emotional presentation, kind of a little Easter egg. We're not that far from talking about an emo. Band. We will be, we will be tackling an actual emo band pretty soon, which yeah. is be the first for us, I suppose. Well, first emo emo, I guess. But I do actually like the song "Into the Woods" too. Um, and the most, the 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 Albini touch here is not just with the drums. Now we got the fucking bass, mm-hmm. that punchy trebly Albini bass. Uh, and I noticed in the in the doc, he's like. Tim's main bass was like, uh, I forget what it's called. It's, it's a Travis Bean, but I think it's the, the goblet. Is that what it's called? Um, I forget what it's called, but it, it looks like a goblet. It's a fucking triangle. It's a, the body's a triangle and it's a funny looking thing. Travis Beans. I mean, that's Steve Albini uses Travis Beans. They're like the, um, they have aluminum necks. I've always wanted one They're They stopped making them in like the seventies or whatever. Um, very expensive to get one now. And there's a company called, Electrical. Yes. It's Electrical Guitar Company. They basically picked up where Travis Bean left off. They started making f- like aluminum guitars, full aluminum, aluminum guitar. I mean, Kramer does some too, but these guys took like the 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 actual style and shape of Travis Bean. Like they, mm-hmm. they make it all. And uh, King Buzz from the Melvins uses them now. Mm-hmm. Um, Albini, um, in addition to the original Travis Beans, he uses them too. And even Tim from Silkworm, he's, he uses both electrical and the original Travis Beans. And the reason I'm talking about that so much is because maybe it's just the way it's produced. Maybe it's the amp or it's the fucking Travis Beans. Cause you, that's that bass sounds just like Bob Weston's in shellac, which is more Travis Bean stuff. Like it's a very distinct Albini bass. Or maybe it's Maybelline. Maybe. How would I know? 
I haven't washed my hair in years. Uh, <laughs> wait, that, that, that's not shampoo. They do makeup, right? I think it's makeup. All right. Well, yeah, yeah, I'm not gay then. Whatever. <laughs> I guess I just proved that by accident. But uh, it sounds fucking great. Really punchy bass. Yeah, this I was a little worried. Um, this one got you worried. How did this one get you worried? It's so fucking cool. It just got me worried. I felt something in my stomach. Like, oh no. Oh, this, I was getting excited because th- this is like really reminding me of a lot of the post hardcore stuff that we that I love. It reminded mm-hmm. me a lot of Farrakat and medications. Check out that episode. Uh, a little bit of a unwound, not as noisy, but like in the same kind of like two guitars thrashing around held together with some really busy drums and, and bass lines that go totally against what the guitar is playing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I enjoyed it. And especially like the, the more epic stuff, the slower stuff where they, they get, it leaves some space. Uh, they slow it down. One member will just stop playing entirely and it gets super minimal and it's really, you know, big and emotional. Uh, I think it fucking nails it. I think other albums can get a best for sure, but this one is just this. It's like, it's like a beautiful blending of noisy post hardcore with pavement style indie. It's like my two favorite things in there. There you go. I think it's great. I think it's fucking great. Or if you're me, you thought about REM too many times. Oh, you get, you get out of my face. You get it out of my face. I don't want to hear none of that. Uh, uh, but obviously I didn't, uh, this is better than other things. So this is, yes. <laughs> uh, so on working with Steve Albini, Tim says, Steve has always just captured, captured what a band does in the room together. Somehow a radical working method at the time, maybe him being so good at it is what made it radical. I mean, he almost got him fucking bankrupt because of Nirvana. <laughs> uh, he had such a purely positive influence on us. His work ethic was the same as ours, only exaggerated. Down to earth, no nonsense, dogged. Um, he was immune to criticism and generally insensitive, just uh, just like us. We liked him a lot, but didn't care if he liked our music. Uh, we heard what we were really doing, and some of some of it was very exciting. We also made a bunch of adjustments to things based on what our ears were telling us. I learned what my bass really sounded like. Not great. Our first <laughs> session with him, our first session with him, made me get a real amp, and then it sounded great. Hell yeah, hell yeah. Uh, and he says. Uh, what he learned, he says, uh, mainly that you can you could just record a kick-ass band in the studio kicking ass all at once, and if done completely, it would sound very kick-ass. The meeting of Steve Albini is a funny one uh, between Tim and Steve, how they mm-hmm. met, because it was like bad. It was bad for... Like, I feel like he has a lot of awkward yeah. first impression. <laughs> for sure. So Tim, I think, was working at... um, He was working at some radio station whatever in the same vicinity as Albini Albini would go in there. It was something radio related, college related. Don't ask me more than that. And he saw them there. I was like, Oh shit. There he is. And then later on, I think there, there he saw, he caught rape man at a gig. It was during the rape man days. Check out that episode. And Tim had known one of Steve Albini's like teachers or something. So he, he said, Hey Steve, so-and-so says hi. And Steve said like, that's my old so-and-so, my, my old, whatever teacher. <laughs> He's like, yeah. And for some reason, I think it was like April Fool's, Steve had a can of fart spray. First he had, but he just had it on him and he sprayed him in the face with fart spray. Why would you do that? Because he told him that it was just, it was was insane. And he was like, obviously like, you know, that sucks. (laughs) And Steve was like, that was a very mean thing to do. I was, I felt very bad about that. That was a very mean thing to do. So, 
I don't know how long later, maybe like years later. Uh, I think it might've been in Missoula. Uh, Tim was working at a, at a record store and Steve went to go visit his, his parents there and he goes to the record store and he, and then he immediately recognizes like, that's the guy I mace with fart spray shit. <laughs> and then proceeds a insanely uncomfortable conversation. It, not even about that. It was like, a brand new, completely <laughs> isolated, different, awkward conversation. And once again, Steve was like, I, I, I think he asked me, like, are you, are you doing any music lately? And he's like, what? Me, me? What? No, no, no. Because he didn't understand the, the, the concept Contact. of being, being yeah. recognized or whatever. Yeah. Like, he was like really rude and like short and he just kind of left. Uh, the next day, Steve went back and, and apologized. Like, I've been rude to you twice now. <laughs> I want to apologize. That was really not cool. I, I, I'm sorry for spraying you in the face with fart spray. <laughs> And then, like, that was, like, the last they saw each other for years. And then, eventually, they got back in touch. And now here he is making music with them. Um, but that's cute. It's fun stuff. And what I think is their best album, at least at the time of this, it can go back and forth. But I think right now, my heart is saying this is the best one. Alex doesn't like it so much. Son of a bitch. But it's okay. It's okay because he doesn't like any of the albums. It's okay. You can like none of them or all of them. It doesn't matter. Yeah. I'm not why you're here. You're here for Mike. <laughs> Please don't. <laughs> uh, but I think it's time we move on to the next one. Hell yeah. So here we are. The last album with Joel. He, he would quit after the release of this next album. So don't get too used to it. Okay. So <clears throat> I guess I guess we're ready to go then, right? Yes, sir. Hell yeah. This is 19. Is this the same year? Holy shit, this is the same year. I didn't realize that. Fucking 1994. I didn't realize... Bo I'm blown away that both came out in 1994. I can't believe I didn't put it together until right now. That's too much music. It's a lot. It's a lot of music. It says 1994's Libertine. This song fucking rips. I love this song. Another really dark emotional song to start the album with. I don't love the vocal songs. On the way this is Andy. I love it. Yeah. I love Andy's vocal. I said I was an Andy man, and then I betrayed him immediately. Immediately betrayed him. But we like blondes. The production is very similar to the last one, but the bass drum has been toned down a bit. It's no longer like thumping in your ear. Beautiful riffs. Ah, oh, I love this. think this is a better opener than, than the last album i i like the opener on into the west better and um this uh, the, i don't know if this is blasphemy but uh for you know me 
worst, least favorite. You're crazy. This would also have been best for me. You're crazy. I did. I, this one is so, what? This, <laughs> this, this, like, this broke me. How? This went so far. Oh, oh, damn. So one thing I noted here that it's very funny you say that. I li- This is my exact words. If you didn't like the last one, I get the feeling you won't like this one either. <laughs> the last one has like bits and pieces I could grab onto. This oh. was very, very minimal what I enjoyed. Yen plus Jane, Janet together. You don't like that? I fucking no, love I, that song. That's like the most melodic song they've done in a while. It's so powerful. Oh, I love it. Um, it's so slinty too. Let's check out that episode. If this... <sighs> I feel like it just goes on for so long. It does, but it feels more jammy than repetitive. Where the early, the first couple albums, the like the seven minute songs, they were just kind of repeating the same two or three sections mm-hmm. over and over again. This is like they drift off and they do this crazy solo for like three minutes and then they bring it back together. And so it feels way more jammy. Well, um, I always. You know, personally, I'm always like, if it bores me, that's worse than being angry or uh, being like outright bad. And this album just <sighs> really bored me. This is like, uh, I, this is more in the vein of like early post rock too. A lot of it is the slowest and most spacious songs I've ever done. Yeah. And it's just like, yeah, I don't have any like strong feelings, a uh, hatred or positivity. I just like, I'm just like, yeah, those are songs. I like every song on this album. I, I don't I don't think it flows that well from mm-hmm. beginning to end, which is why I, I didn't get this best because the pacing issues are pretty immediate. Like Grotto of Miracles is, is track two and it, it bring it. I mean, the momentum is pretty strong at the gate. It cuts it down immediately. It's way slower and more intimate and quiet. It's a pretty song. I like it, but it, the momentum I felt was was dragged down. And then track three is Cotton Girl, which should have been track two. And it's you know, it's more lively, it has way more energy, it has I think it's fucking very cool. But uh what happened on my second listen, I was listening to this in the car, and the first track ends, and you know how fucking Apple music is. Sometimes it'll just mm-hmm. skip songs. Yeah. It skipped Grotto of Miracles, put on Cotton Girl, I was like, oh fuck yeah, dude. And I, I checked, was, I was like, uh- that's yeah, it, it's that was blessing. But the thing is, like, <laughs> it was confirmed like that would have been a, a better track too because it keeps up the fucking energy. Mm-hmm. And an accident showed me that, like, yeah, that that probably would have been cooler, at least in my opinion. Um, they re record a tunnel on here, yes, yeah, still creepy, still spidery, still very slinty and jammy. Uh, I like it a lot more than the original, just like most of the re recordings. Um, and then this one, I know you don't like, but it's what the fucking doc was named after. And I can't help but love the song. Couldn't you wait? I, I love that song. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. I just, there's something about it. It's like, it's just so simple and, and catchy. And it makes me sad now when I hear it, mm-hmm. like it legitimately like bums me out. It, uh, obviously because of the, the connection with, with the movie, of course, but there's something about that type of song where it's cheery and bouncy on the surface, but it's actually fucking really sad. It just yeah. something really sad about it. Yeah. Whenever I refer to a song as like 
catchy or upbeat. I assume the lyrics are not catchy and upbeat in this. Well, I don't even know what the lyrics are about. It's just the way it yeah. makes me feel. Uh, another good example of that is uh, Wild in My Day. Uh, oh, yeah. I didn't feel like it was a super strong song, but it helped bring some variety and uh, some more upbeatness to this. Yeah, it does have moments where it's, it separates it. Is it fair to call this album angsty? It is more emotional and dramatic. It's probably one of the most dramatic albums. Um, speaking of emotional, oh how we laughed! I would say, I would say, maybe I'm the wrong person to be doing this, but maybe you can make an argument for that being like a an early like emo song. Ah, uh, interesting, interesting. Uh, I like the song fine. I don't like it, and another reason why. I think this is kind of poorly paced. Following um, Yen plus Janet together, mm-hmm. it's too much. It's like so much emotional, dark, and moody. Um, there was you needed. I feel like you needed something to bring you back up after for that mm-hmm. track because it's so like taxing. Um, so it, I find it to be like a dip in pacing, even though I do like the song itself. Uh, it, it, honestly, even couldn't you wait? Could be like inspiring of of emo kind of stuff just yeah. how poppy it is and yeah. um what was it um a lot of the stuff here and one good example is the song written on the wind but i could i could apply it to pretty much any of the bigger jammier lengthier post-rocky stuff it sounds like the early post-rock stuff like um like rodan or juna 44 they're they're all bands are like heavily inspired by slint um that came a little bit after slint like a year mm-hmm. or two after slint and or after Slint broke up, or whatever, and it sounds like that. It doesn't sound like Slint, but it sounds like that wave that came after Slint. Yeah. Or um, it still has the, the minimalism in the spirit of. Yeah, like Slint was still its own thing because like they had a, everything was more concentrated. Like everything was very uh, deliberate. Like the songs were written and rehearsed to a T, like that. Mm-hmm. Whereas a lot of these and a lot of of these other kind of bands that I named. Um, Maybe a little more free. Yeah, a little driftier. A lot of the souls are more improvised. A lot of mm-hmm. more like let's just hang on this section for a while, and then we'll we'll come back together at, at some point. A little bit more loose, like you said, pretty much. Like if you don't, if this doesn't gel with you, there's nothing. I can't convince you. There's no argument to be made that you're you're yeah. wrong. If you're like me, it <laughs> I fucking like it. I like it a lot. Even bloody eyes, which is like. A loud pavement. I don't know. It's a loud. It's a louder pavement. I fucking love it. Uh, I will say, I've not given out best yet. You have not. I'm so confused. You should be. Yeah, because oh, uh, we'll get. I'm excited. I'm excited. <laughs> I don't know what's gonna happen, but so Joel leaves, and I think it was like uh, there was no real. There wasn't a whole lot of like he left for this reason. There was a mm-hmm. lot of like he didn't really like what was going on. He was drifting away. He was being a little bit more uh, uh, standoffish. And then we finally like asked him like, "Do you want to not do this?" And he's like, "I don't want to do this." Maybe I'm a Joelman. I'm a Joelman too. Yeah. I lo- jo- all my favorite albums are like the Joel era. Yeah. Well, not exactly, but like sure. I like almost everything from his, from his yeah. time in there. But uh, on. 
on regarding, you know, after he left or whatever, Tim said, uh, I've learned more from Joel than from any other musician I've ever known. No contest. He still blows my mind. Remarkable guitarist, singer, and writer. A truly amazing sax player. He just did a bunch of saxophone stuff uh, for the new Mint Mile record. That is insanely good. The way he arranges things is extremely canny. What to put where, what to leave out, when to trick it up a bit, and when to drive a part into the ground. I've stolen all of it I can remember, and it's baked into my own thinking now as best I can manage it. That's beautiful. He goes on. He goes on. Joel gave a soul. God damn. Uh, I learned how to tap in, into my inner thoughts and feelings from watching and hearing him do it. He showed me how to work outside of myself in that way where you drop any intention from what you're doing and just let it happen. Maybe you overstep your abilities a bit from time to time, but it's only when you are fearless and get lost in the endeavor that anything real, much less magical, can happen. These are the kindest words you can say about another human being. This is great. It's insane. It's it's ins- like the amount of gratitude and love that they have for this dude who by all accounts just fucking disappeared and just, well, I mean, he still does stuff. I'm sure mm-hmm. they're still friends, but like he just did detach himself from all silkworm stuff. Too completely. many, too many messy breakups or bad things. This, this makes me really happy. Yeah. And you're about to get even happier based on how they responded as a band to him leaving, mm-hmm. which I'll get to in a second. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is more about how he left. Um, Tim says the process of Joel leaving the band seemed protracted because it was so rough. It really only took a few months to come to a conclusion, which is a while. I think it's like six months or something. Like that's kind of drawn out. How long? I think like six months. Oh, if shit. I remember okay. correctly from from the doc. Yeah. Um, it says we were very close and we'd forged that relationship in isolation together. We were bound by these shared experiences, and it was very hard to feel him moving away from us, or maybe it was us from him. Oh man, this is this is dark. Um. At the time, I thought he was the one who was losing it, but is it really so sensible to sleep on random floors and eat garbage and play one crappy club after another for four or five weeks on end? I mean, wanting to not do that seems pretty normal to me now. <laughs> Amen, dude. Oh, goddamn. It's, yeah, it is like a breakup where that's like different than losing someone passing away and can be. Um, just says frustrating in a different way because it's just like, especially the clearly very fond of him. And it's like, why are you like, why are you doing this to us? <sighs> yeah. So man, man, that was, I'm really glad we got that quote. That was, that was inspirational. It's about to get more inspirational because now Andy has something to say about him. <laughs> that was just Tim. Menches. That was just Tim. Everyone's just a mensch. Andy said, uh, based on, you know, in regards to continuing without Joel, he says, that's a huge question. So I'll just have to give you a limited set of impressions. Joel was the founder. So that's a big add to any endeavor. For me personally, Joel was by a lot, the biggest single influence on me as a guitarist. <laughs> Beautiful. Don't ever change, guys. No, no. Even in Einheit, Joel had this quality that I've heard people say about Steve Ray Vaughan, another favorite of Alex's. Uh, the guitar music just flowed out of him. It seemed simultaneously and paradoxically instinctive and well thought out. It was always impactful. He was capable of generating absolutely gripping rock unlike anyone else I had witnessed up to that point. Uh, up to the point I met him and very few I have ever, very few I ever knew or saw in the years after. Given all of that, it seems strange to say, but adapting to his departure was very easy. By the time he left, I think that Tim, Michael, and I had achieved escape velocity individually and as a unit. This enabled us to do the sensible thing, to not even try seriously to replace Joel. 
We made a few limited attempts in the very early days uh, post-departure, and we were able to fill up the available artistic space by our collective effort. The, the crazy thing. So he leaves, and what they do is they don't replace him. And they don't just not replace him with another guitarist. They don't they don't replace the parts that he played. Mm-hmm. So in the songs where let's just say it's just it's drums, bass, and Joel and and uh, and Andy's silent. Mm-hmm. Now it is just drums and bass, and yeah. and Andy is still silent. Yeah, it's like uh, w- one guy in the dog. I don't remember who he was. He might have been a fan. Uh, he said he was like. When someone's kid died and they leave a, an empty chair for him at Thanksgiving, it's like that's what it feels like. Fuck they wouldn't even replace the parts. Like he's gone. That's that. The song was like that with him. It is now not with him. Therefore, we're not even gonna. <laughs> it's bizarre. I've never heard of that before. That's very. It's kind of dark and kind of interesting. Yeah, because in in the doc, the example they show, they actually edited. It. I'll try that word again. Uh, they actually edited it fucking amazingly where the song is couldn't you wait they use that song as an example mm-hmm. so the, they have like the studio version playing during whatever the interviews and then they cut to a live version of the same song and it, it picks up immediately where the live version picks up immediately where the, the, the studio version leaves off except it's a live version just when joel left so it's just bass and tim and drums where normally there's a whole guitar part there so you hear where where there would have been a guitar cut to a live version where there's no guitar. And it's like a different song. Damn. It's crazy. So it, it changes everything. It feels like a different thing. Like that's, that's not exactly conducive to gaining fans and making like the best song possible, but it is like the more artistic approach. It's a very, very interesting approach where I can't even, can't even think of like, Oh, like so-and-so like this. It's very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I can't say maybe maybe it didn't sound great with every song, but it, I kind of like that choice. And and also a side side note on twenty um, fifth touch and go anniversary in whatever year it was twenty ten or something. Uh, Silkworm played, but they played without Michael, and they didn't have a drummer. They just it was just them and oh, the, the keyboardist. So it's like, yeah, it's they just don't replace people. It's like, that's how tight knit these guys are. Yeah. It's, it's fucking beautiful and super sad. Yeah. But Alex is worst and least favorite for some reason. <laughs> now they're officially a three piece and they got signed to Matador. It's a good label. It's a good, it's a great label. They, uh, according to them, they only wanted Matador or touch and go touch mm-hmm. and go. Didn't really respond. So they went with Matador <laughs> <laughs> and here it is. This is 1996's firewater. No more simple tunes No more easy tunes It takes so many I actually love this song now. After hearing it enough times, yeah, love it. This was another moment where I was just like, yeah, this band's off. I, I, I know, but you hear it enough times, sometimes it'll just click. Sometimes. I wonder if we'll, if we'll be able to get to the guitar solo here, because it is something else. 
some 90-ass vocals, though, right? There, yeah, there are some things that sound very This is a really good example. Because now that guitar solo is front and center. Mm. He's shining on his own now. There's like nothing standing in Andy's way now. I feel yeah. like this is an awesome solo. Okay, okay, sorry. That I only wanted to get to the solo. That's why we left it on that long. Talking about very 90s things. Yes. What Firecracker is kind of upbeat, a little quirky. Oh, like, yeah. That it, one had a video. Oh, shit. That I, was put on, on, like, what's that? 120 Degrees, what that MTV show? That was called? Uh, no, 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 no. 108 um, Degrees. <laughs> 101 Degrees. You, 120 minutes. 120 minutes. There's no degrees at all. I was no. wrong with the degrees. Mike was thinking about boy bands. I was thinking entirely of 98 degrees the yes. entire time. I know. Um, yeah, that song, I was like, you know, I could picture this being in like one of those like teen movies in the late 90s, early 2000s. Yeah, it's not my favorite thing ever. I find it to be pretty inoffensive and it comes and goes like really fast. I don't actually love it that much, but it doesn't bother me. Um, this This album did quite bummed me out. I was pretty disappointed by this one. There, this is like one of their biggest albums. There's some lows here. Um, but, but I think uh, I can like say there's some highs here. 100%. Uh, like I think Slow Hands. Fuck is, yes. Fuck yes. Yeah, that's one of the their best songs. Absolutely one of their best songs. Yeah. Um, th- so that's like every time they slow it down and get bigger and more epic that's always my favorite thing you didn't mm. like it so much on the last album um but well, on for the, some reason on slow hands this something clicked in my brain it, it's like the same style but it's man fuck those guitar solos he is so good on this album like mm-hmm. they're, they're legitimately beautiful solos they're not just like technically impressive uh and and you can really focus on it without i mean i love joel but you can there's no distractions here it's all like he's just killing it he's yeah just, hyper, he's, like f- hyper focused yeah in a way um this you know it's between this or libertine for me but i realize i do like this more than it does have a lot of highlights um another one like kind of like peppering in some some like country stuff this is the maybe one other instance they they dabble in country but this is the one where they really really throw in some country stuff of beauty um the Lure of Beauty is one. Also, Ticket to Lane is another one. And then, yeah, Miracle Mile is just too too funny. Like, yeah, it's. I like the lyrics; they're charming. I think they do a lot for the song, but I don't care much for the song. It's it's, all, it's, a, it's a solo acoustic. It's song. all carried by the lyrics, like the hundred percent. Yeah. yeah, the lyrics are what we're there for, and yeah. it's it's too funny for me to like deny it in any way. A lot of the lyrics are really, really funny, especially Andy's lyrics. Andy's lyrics are like those, he, you know, he's going to be writing about some goofy, weird shit, uh, um, which is fun. I don't know if he wrote that one, though. I forget. And then Drag the River, man, the bass playing on that song is is great. Oh, yeah. 
Um, I I like the song. It, it didn't feel, it didn't like stick out to me as like a favorite, but I I did I did there, enjoy that one. There was something about that bass line on that mm. song where I was like, "This is really fucking cool." All right, all right. Uh, what else do I like on here? Fucking swings has really great drums. Um, it's a it's an interesting song because you could hear how much he's holding back in terms of volume. Mm-hmm. Like he's playing like you know a pretty pretty energetic beat but just really quietly which is a very difficult thing to do to, to play fast and quiet at the same time uh, but it's a, it gives it a, a, an interesting feel it's a very odd rhythm that i they don't I, I mean i can't think of another song that even sounds a little bit like that one um i dig tarnished angel which has like a you know nice tinge of sadness yeah, those are all songs I just... It's pretty straightforward indie stuff. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. Yeah. The middle of the album was was rough for me. A lot of it, I think, I think it's fine. Like, Severance Pay, it's fine. There's nothing wrong with it. I, um, I can imagine it getting stuck in my head. It's catchy. Uh, it's just not my favorite kind of thing. Uh, the My favorite song on the album... Pro- no, my favorite song on the album for sure is Slow Hands, but up there with it is Don't Make Plans This Friday, the closer, which I think mm-hmm. is a nice, fitting closer. Uh, it has like, and it's not, it's like, I find it to be a little bit lacking in energy. Um, and it's, it's also hurt by the length of the album mm-hmm. and like the two tracks before it, I think are some of the worst songs in the album. So I think it's just put in a bad spot, even though it's a closer, but I think it's objectively very good. Um, actually quite love that song, but, uh, killing my ass. I don't like it very much. It reminds me of like no effects kind of style stuff. And I don't like that very much. It was, it was like, again, not an execution, but maybe like the way the lyrics are, are being, it was too like, like alternative folk for me. It it does teeter on that. Um, I'm not a no effects fan really, but I did see them once at a, Occupy LA like 10 years ago. Yeah. It's actually more than 10 years ago. Um, yeah. Like they, they did an acoustic set and I was like, yeah, it's free. I'll go. I don't fucking care. And it was a lot of that. A lot of that kind of like it's, singing along really impassioned, um, you know, it's fat Mike and no effects. Yeah. yeah no yeah. effects. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I saw no effects once too. And I don't know what songs they played. It was just him talking shit the whole time. And That's it was, fun. It was fun. Yeah. Not, it was a fun show. I don't love the music so much, but it, it is fun. It's fun. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I didn't expect Joel's absence to be this profound. Mm-hmm. And that, that bummed me out. Um, and I didn't really love the style, the, the direction they were going in, in this one too much. Except, I mean, everyone like fans fucking love this album. It did. This is the closest they ever got to being successful. Okay. This album. Um, this is when Pavement took them on tour with them. Mm-hmm. Obviously, that signed to Matador, so they they were feeling optimistic. Uh, but their their records from beginning to end just didn't sell. They just mm-hmm. fucking never sold, and they would, they would play all over the world to consistently small crowds, always like sold out, but tiny mm. crowds. And so they would only be hitting like a certain tiny group of people that that it resonated with. It's like the definition of a niche band. Like 
to make that successful is so much work and it's so difficult. Even even on a two hour plus long podcast, they still can't get a W and it's 50 50. <laughs> it's 50 50. Exactly. It's actually almost a perfect representation of what this band went through. Like, you, we'll show you, but have it, you're going to fucking hate it. <laughs> it's basically what it is. <laughs> I'm sorry, guys, but you're lo- you're lovely. I love I love your answers. I love reading, uh, hearing your response to Joel. You don't gotta like, love, yeah. You don't gotta love every every music you hear. It's not it's not up to I you. Ultimately, respect these guys. There's nothing. I mean, as musicians and as yeah. workhorses, it fucking it makes it mad that like all that work, like you didn't they didn't get more out of it. But more importantly, what they got out of it was. I'm using the word more too much, but what they got of it was ultimately way more than if they were this arena act because God damn, like, cause um, before he, before he died, Michael, he was the only member of the group that would keep journals about the tours and about whatever. Oh, and he would post them online. He would post them like he had like a, a, a website or a form or something. So I, you know, I went to the website, old website. I don't know yes. if that's the same. One. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know why this web nothing really works, but I went to the website when I was trying to find the the, the current website is like dead and is like most of the links don't work. I don't know, so I don't know where it's this. Also, it's also cool. This like man, that website is a like time capsule. Hundred percent, hundred percent. Websites used to look like exactly. Uh, but he, wherever he posted it, it would always be like updates, and most of it was like just grateful and excited to be on the road and always looking forward to the next thing. Just, mm-hmm taking in every experience it's the, the motherfucker lived the way we should all strive to live mm-hmm. uh and again that makes you sad that he was the one who's uh, you know tragically killed but it's also like he lived more than we did mm-hmm. just by the way he lived like by documenting that and appreciating every little thing and making sure everyone around him felt great and everyone liked being around. like he's just that's like the kind of thing you do so yeah they fucking struggled but they they did they did more mm-hmm. did more in the hearts. <laughs> oh God! All right, spiel over. So in regards to to adjusting as a as a newfound trio, Tim said moving to the trio format was a big deal, and superficially you'd think being on Matador would be some kind of sea change. I do like those two records, um, referring to Firewater and the next one, Developer, uh, quite a bit. And there's a stubborn kind of creative ambition to them that warms my heart. And speaking of the, the developer, we might as well move on to that one. Yes, sir. Hell yes. So this is the last one on Matador. This came on 1997. This is a developer. I love the way the drums sound on this track. They do sound really great. Really big. What an interesting choice of an opener. More moody than they've ever been in an opener. Looking at the 
what albums are coming after this. This is kind of like the last time they go dark. Yeah, yeah, that's a fair assessment. That's very cool. It's a great baseline. Interesting opener. Very cool opener, I think. Um, yeah, this one feels more focused to me. So I felt the same. I, I mean, for one, it's half the length of the last one. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if I mentioned, but Firewater is like their second longest album. It's a very long album. I felt it dragged on too much for that reason. This one is very similar to that one in style and everything, but it it's more focused, has better pacing. It's sh- way shorter. It's like a breeze compared to it. Yeah. Um, they're really bringing their their uh, a game on on uh, the pre- like quiet, pretty melodic riffs on this album, uh, like the opener, yep. and then the city glows. Um, just like oh yeah, this, yeah, yeah, good, good melodic stuff on here. I don't love the song, but it's it's great for pacing. It slows it it slows it down at the just the right point in the album. Mm-hmm. Um. Surprised to hear like a, a fuzzier driven track like the devil's beating his wife. Oh right. Oh man, I don't I don't don't care for that one. Oh man, it's so funny what this band particularly what what I like. It's yeah, what you like I don't like, and what I like you because <laughs> I like pretty much every other song on the album except for those two. I almost I almost gave this. It was my best for a while. Really, and then. I I think I ended up choosing violence with uh, my pick, but all right, all right, all right. Um, this is this is up there. This feels more like I was like I can't give it to that first album because it's just so obscure. But like this feels more representative of what the the band is. It is a way better representation, which is wild that this one was like a this is like their one letdown album like one where everyone that's uh, for, cra- that's crazy to me it is no i think it's crazy too i mean for one they were dropping matador because of it like it the, not only did it not sell well which none of them sell well but like the the main dude from matador or one of the main dudes mm-hmm. he said like when we heard it uh we didn't think it was quite as impressive as firewater and we were wrong we were disappointed by the lyrics and the music i'm like wait what how like why what what where (laughs) if you like the band where because like Mm -hmm. if you don't like the band fine don't then they all suck yeah but like if you do how is this any worse how is this not actually kind of better yeah i mean as a not fan, I think it's <laughs> I think it's better. I did enjoy it more. Yeah. I mean, as an album, maybe not the songs individually. Like the last one had really amazing highlights. Uh huh. This one, I think, as a as a full album, it has better flow to it. Um, you know, I don't love songs like "Goodnight, Mister." Oh, Moham, 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 Moham. I don't know how to pronounce that. Yeah. Um, I don't really care for songs like that, but uh, you know, I think if you do like more of that indie rock style it's a fun it's a fun song i like it i kind of dig it it's a you know it's it's minimal acoustic guitar and drums uh it's story driven kind of lyrically uh and it feels nice i don't think it's i mean it's not revolutionary or anything but it's Mm -hmm. very nice feels good and then uh it's too bad 
is another one where I just love the way the drums are recorded so much. Big and powerful. It's a mm-hmm. moving track. Uh, I like it a lot. I think it's a great closer. I, I also feel the same about She Wait for Wolf, which I mean, those songs are just more my speed. The more moody, slower, epic stuff. Mm-hmm. It's always been my favorite. And it, man, we, She Wait for Wolf, it's like when that comes on, it just it, for me, it just beats the shit out of everything else so hard. It's like, God damn it. It just, it fills me with stuff. Uh, and it, yeah, it's too bad as a great closer as well. Um, and, and, and like another perfect example of this fucking band is Ice Station Zebra, where it's like, it's cool. I can't verbalize why I like it more than the other ones. It's not mm-hmm. like it's so much better. It's just, it just, it's all taste. It's just how, how it's just, there's no, there's no words, yeah. and it, there shouldn't be. If you fucking like it, you like it. If you don't, you don't. You're not wrong for either one. I think some people could put it into words. Fuck them. They're not here. They aren't here. We're here, baby. <laughs> We've been here for a while. We're gonna be here a little bit longer. Too. I've been at Mike's house. All, no, that's an exaggeration. A good while. A good while though. Yeah. So they get dropped from Matador, and it's shitty. But like they were kind. Like I think they didn't even really want to put out this album like they already knew from firewater that like well if that didn't do it with the tour with pavement mm-hmm. and this all this you know the mtv stuff like it's probably not gonna sell that much but fuck it we'll do it all right we yeah. like you guys we'll do it and like i think they already knew it's like all right this is about we're about done here and of course they they dropped them which is fucking sad because uh they they explain it pretty well in the doc where they're like Labels like Matador and Touch and Go and fucking Discord. There's also a Discord playlist. Check that out. Uh, and all, on all these sub pop, whatever, all these cool indie labels where the draw is that you know that label puts out bands you like. Mm-hmm. Or I mean, the way we kind of are with Sergeant House, like mm-hmm. we like we. I don't love everything else, Sergeant House, but they put out so many things that I love. It's reliable. You can go straight to the label and find stuff. That's and was way more like that in the nineties. So, uh, a lot of these these labels, they know they're not going to make up really any money by keeping these bands. They keep mm-hmm. them because they want these bands to keep making the art, mm-hmm. and they won't be able to anywhere else. And in, in both with Matador and eventually Touch and Go, Silkworm was like. Yeah, we were one of those bands. We need you to house us and feed us, and we'll so we can keep doing this. Yeah, and they just got fucked by both of them. They're like, "Oh man, you guys really aren't selling. You, we can't keep you." That breaks my heart more. Awful. More for touch and go. This because of how much of uh, we've we've covered them, and I feel like this like attach or like comfort with the label. Now. You you want to trust a label like that? We're like. We need we these bands are not gonna fucking be household names that everyone spends millions of millions of dollars to go see. We need you to keep them alive so we mm-hmm. can enjoy them. And some of them are like, but these guys are really not bringing any money. <laughs> like, fucking take the hit, please, for the art. I, I it's selfish to say. I'm not running a business. They're running a fucking business. Yeah. But it is sad. That like, man, there's sometimes sometimes they just don't have a home. Yeah, I forget who it was like an older artist they were talking about being on a record label and they were like yeah you know like the black sabbaths and the the bonnie rates were were paying for us yeah like, like the those bands this cleaned house and then the label was able to keep us and you don't really 
hear about that too often now. Also, with what Silkworm did, uh, they would often like take pay cuts, take pay cuts so their openers would, would get paid. Oh shit! And they would they would go to like the opener and they would buy like, buy all their records from their their openers and, and whatever. Like they're all guys. good people. Yeah, holy Just shit! Across the board, like doing things the way humans human beings do it not doing it yeah. the quote-unquote smart way or the business way or just mm-hmm. just being like a being a good dude and being an artist and doing everything only because you love doing it nice i, I love it i love it but now now they're on touch and go yeah we made it we made it and i believe they all moved eventually to chicago one by one took him a while i think andy moved first after they got dropped from from matador i think uh they were like we need to reevaluate some things mm-hmm. we can't keep doing this full time because it is it's not realistic unrealistic as fuck and completely unsustainable and it's just not working so i think they all just kind of like got jobs and like con- d- agreed to still do the stuff but like maybe a little bit less uh mm-hmm. vicious and vigorous or whatever so andy moves to to chicago i got it was a little bit vague on the dates because this album uh this next album came out the following year so i don't know exactly when everything happened but uh he got um he replaced the guitarist for bush couldn't make a tour for whatever reason so they they got andy to replace him which is it's, that's fucking wild and it's funny because at one point I don't know where, but at some point, I was like, this sounds like a Bush song. Oh, that's funny and blasphemous, but also funny. He goes on tour <laughs> with Bush, and I think I think Michael went to see one of the shows. It's obviously this fucking you know, outdoor arena type thing, mm-hmm. and he, I think he, he wrote about it, and it was so like, it was, it was beautiful and cynical, where like, he was talking about how once the music gets big enough. It's just stops mattering. The people there aren't there for the right reasons. They're not enjoying it the same way you enjoy it when it's small. It's like a whole different thing. It's, it's not even, you can't even call them the same thing anymore. Mm. Sure. You're both playing music on a stage, but it's not the same thing. And it ultimately like the, the sentiment of the whole thing was like how much he loved doing what he was doing and loved Silkworm and loved playing and doing things the way they did, even though it wasn't making them, giant famous names yeah and it was like again like loving things for what they are not mm-hmm. for what you wish it would they be in could the future be, yeah yeah it's it's a, it's a beautifully stoic way to look at being in a in a, in a band that's dying <laughs> very nice mindfulness being in the present 100 percent. uh but this next album first one on touch and go this came out in 1998 this is blue blood <laughs> So I think, correct me if I'm wrong, if you might, uh, I don't know if you'll know or not. Uh, maybe lower one. There we go. I think this was recorded, you know, this is the only album I think not recorded by Steve in this era. Oh, shit. It was I... mixed by him, but it wasn't recorded by him. And I thought it was crazy when I first heard this because I thought, like, this doesn't sound nearly as good. Mm-hmm. And then I read that. So maybe... If someone didn't record it as well as Steve here. All sides were good. I took it out of 
actually do quite like this song. Let us talk. Yeah, one of the one of the weaker efforts. Least favorite. Least favorite. Yeah, this is the one I, I would have given worst to this one, um, but I don't think it's nearly as like rough on a on a on a whole structural level and the way it's put together and the way it's recorded and, and performed. Um, in the first one, the first album, I think is just has too many flaws. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't enjoy listening to this one so much. No, there are very few highlights on here. This is like the first album, I think, up to this point, where nothing on here counts as one of their best songs. Yeah. In my opinion. I I know they said they added keyboardists around. Like- they added keys in like Libertine. Um, the guy's name is Matt. I forget his name. I'll, I'll read it right now. But um, this is like the first time where I feel like it's very like noticeable. Yeah, Matt Kidane, and he didn't he didn't join in um in Libertine. My, my mistake. Uh, okay, he joined in two thousand two, so he's not even here now. Okay, but I don't know who's playing him on this. I'll find out in a minute. But yeah, um, I must prepare. I I do like the piano on there. Um, oh yeah, I forgot like. The the key elements really do feel like a, a sudden shift, um, but I, I do like it a lot. Yeah. Um, a red eye, I don't really like the vocals and guitar on there, but I do think uh, the drums and bass are doing neat stuff. Uh, piano, Brett, Gar- Brett, sorry, Brett Grossman plays piano on this one. Um, red eye, I don't care for it at all it's at all at all it's like heavy southern rock vibe Mm -hmm. uh which is rare that they do that but Mm -hmm. occasionally and i I don't even like set it too late either um it's like nice and fuzzy indie you know it's not it's again it's like not awful but it just does nothing for me um and go ahead good like maybe the best song on here is probably empty elevator shaft i i like it a lot. And it, actually, weirdly enough, Michael sings on that one. Oh, shit. Which is maybe the only song that he sings lead on. It, it felt like they were channeling television on there. Specifically, oh. the the way there's like these guitar flourishes that this kind of like specifically Marky Moon. Uh, all right. But, okay. Uh, oh, okay. I know what you're talking yeah. about. That's interesting. Right. Yeah, it's a good song. I do, I do like it. Um but most like like most things on here, I wouldn't I wouldn't call it one of my favorites, or I wouldn't mm-hmm. really return to it. Um, and the same like again, like I keep I'm repeating myself at this point, but like beyond repair, I can't explain why I like it. I just like it. Yeah, it's just it's all taste. Um, I really do dig the the intro to Ritz Dance. It's one of the moodiest things uh, on the album. I think it's very strong. The, the it's not nearly as as dark and post rocky as they were before, but mm-hmm. it's like. You know, it's the closest thing on on this one. I was it was pretty conflicted about the closer clean me out because I go ahead. Oh yeah, I was as not a fan of Pearly Gates or Clean Me Out. I don't like Pearly Gates at all. Like I mm-hmm. I don't like it. But what it, what it showed me was like it's pretty bad on that one. Um the 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 amount of happy sounding things on here. Like mm-hmm. this is a a pretty happy album. 
Uh, Pearly Gates is, in, is, is, you know, very, very, very indie and poppy. Well, not poppy, but, you know. Um, and then Clean Me Out basically was just as just as bad with that, like super happy. And it's like, man, these are all so there's no moodiness or like there's no dips and deviations. Um, but the baritone guitars on Clean Me Out kind of fucking rule. Mm hmm. And eventually, like it, it, it just kind of won me over. I, I call it a net win at the end of it, just because I love the way I love the way it's performed. Uh, and there's like a lot of great sounds on it. Is this the worst thing ever? No. Like, like um, track two is "I Must Prepare," which is country western pavement essentially, which is yeah. fucking unique as shit. And the the baritone guitars on this album, I th- this might be the first album he starts using baritone guitars. Um, Tim and they do they always sound really fucking cool mm-hmm. um but because they're like a live band at least the way they record it most of the songs with baritone guitar don't have bass on it so uh you lose a lot of low end but you do get a, a different uh and pretty cool texture in in you know in lieu of it nothing to do with the music but uh staring at the picture of tim on um discogs yeah Looks a lot like actor Billy Burke. This is going to be good. Oh, yeah, that's good. <laughs> Damn. That looks just like him. From that little tiny little... I know you have a lot of editing to do. Dude, but... that's not bad. <laughs> if we could get a side-by-side of Tim and Billy Burke. Yeah, that's, that's not bad. <laughs> Fucking Billy Burke. What is he from? Twilight. Twilight. Okay. Yeah. Also, so bad it's good television series, Zoo. Zoo? I never even heard of that. No one has. Oh, but all right. We've, we've, we've spent enough time here. I can't. Fair enough. Fair can't enough. wax. Poetic. About Zoo as much as I would love to. <laughs> but this is uh, my least favorite. Uh, it's the one I'm definitely not going to return to. I don't personally like any of these songs, but it's not, again, it's not like awful. I can't explain. I just, and it, especially as a guy who likes the band, it's harder to explain why I don't like it. Like it's mm. not that much different. It's just, these particular sequences of chords don't move me the way the others do. I don't know. Music's weird. Music's weird. But we got a few more. We got a few more and we still have picks left. We're not even done with picks. We still have so much more. All right. Now we are, I think, I don't know if they're all in the same city, but either way, this is a whole different approach. It's a different style. It's the new millennium, baby. It is a new millennium. It is 2000, baby. (laughs) This is 2000's Lifestyle. This one and the next one are like some of the most quirky things. Quirky is an interesting way to put it. You're not wrong about that. I didn't think about that. But now what an odd choice for an opener. I've been saying that about a lot of albums. Because they are. They, they all are. are. Yeah. Yeah. They're not like... Most of the openers aren't what you would imagine. Yeah. And this is like a ballad almost. Keep away from me. Keep away from you. That American seems so strange. His face that wears a rictus of pain. Overall, very pleasant and digestible. There's nothing like you compare this to fucking Girl Harbor. Yeah, this is almost a different band. Yeah. Um, 
I'm not like a big fan of these songs, but I thought maybe they were doing something. I mean, they are doing something different, but you know, they they do go back to kind of their their mo of indie uh, fun loving um with some quirkiness well not quirkiness but a lot of well the, yes quirkiness but i was thinking more like the, the crazy guitar stuff yeah like once you hit that's entertainment we're we're back to uh as is um i do think treat the new guy right the piano and female vocals help it stand out from the rest definitely that yeah. is a uh formula they will revisit yes uh, it is this is a. Uh, the album I think everyone considers the best. What the fuck? Yeah, this is not only does like the fans. This is this is what perplexes me about this band is is everyone who loves them is so on the same page. The band, this is like their favorite album. The fans, this is their favorite album. I I love I love going into these unknown bands. I don't have like I don't have any context. No context. No context. No, absolutely none. I'm like uh yeah, I've been living in a fucking cave and that is just so If I were if if I did not learn that, I, I wouldn't believe guessed. it. I would never I would have never guessed. This is a fine album. I think it's a good album. I think it's actually significantly better than like the past 3 albums. <laughs> Especially in terms of like the the the, the formulation, the 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 structure I, of it. I the, think developers better. Than this. I I I don't know. I don't know. That's actually tough because I, I I compared a lot of albums. Like I would listen to like an early mm-hmm. one and then a later one. I didn't do it with the with those two though, so I'm not sure. But uh, a lot of these songs, like this, is all super well done. I just don't love this direction. Like like roots. I don't. I don't like, yeah, don't care. It's well done. It's a, in terms of those types of acoustic songs, which they've done in the past. Mm-hmm. It's not for me. It's not for me. Mm, uh, mm, mm. And then, uh, I mean, there is a lot of stuff I do like. Um, I do like that's entertainment. Uh, the country influence, the more of the country stuff is, is back on that one, but I think it's fucking beautiful. Country gets, you get full blown country. Well, not full blown, but uh, the bones, um, Oh, the closer. There's some there's some good guitar playing there, really blending the alt rock, indie rock with with country yeah, stuff. More uh, more acoustic stuff on that. Beautiful. I, I again I, not a fan maker, I guess, but I fucking think it's great. I think Ooh La La is a fine cover. I don't it's just a fine cover. I, it's it's just a cover. I don't even I don't even I would rather it not be there just because it's it's just it's not like they changed anything from the original. It's just a cover. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't even, honestly don't even like the original. There you <laughs> not go. really a fan of the original. Uh, I am so taken aback that this is. Yeah, this is like the. I think the most people consider along with the band like this to be. They like the next one as well. But like this one is like the best flow, the best one that everything just kind of landed with this mm-hmm. one, um, which is like, I don't see anything wrong with it. Um, I just don't like the style so much. Uh, but it does objectively have really good pacing. Mm-hmm. Um, was it Slave Wages is a, is like a perfect follow up track where it's it's way more uh fun. It's a little bouncier, way more energetic than the, the opener. Upbeat, very very still quirky. Yep. Um, I actually do like the vocals more than ever now. Andy has more gruffness to his voice, a little bit more of a handsome guy voice, mm, if you will. Handsome guy, which I don't like handsome guy voices, but. I think he sounds good. He sounds like a a, uh, a burlier Stephen Malkmus, which if you look at both of those men, they're not burly. But 
it has like a little bit more uh more more gruffness to it yeah it's, it's like i wish i had more to say about this sub considering they love it so much or most people enjoy it so much uh but it's like what it is it feels to me like a a fully formed and evolved band that happened to evolve into something that is just not not my bag uh, it's definitely not your bag, but it's like if you were following them the whole time and you like what the direction they were going, this would be that peak. Like, I think in terms of, of like the next album sounds a, a lot similar to this one, but this one I think as an album is a is a better, more cohesive album, and it is put together really well. Uh, but it is softer than ever. It's more mm-hmm. accessible than ever. It's more um, gentle than ever. Uh, nice than ever. It's very nice. There's not a whole lot of diversity in here. All the songs kind of feel the same. Nice is a good, good word. Yeah, that's what it is. It's a nice album. <laughs> not my favorite, but apparently there's a lot to be had here. So go fucking listen to it, I guess. In regards to recording at Electrical Audio, um, Tim said, Electrical Audio is the best and still the best. Purpose built, no extra anything, wanting for nothing. Just all the stuff you need to make a great record, including the people. No kidding. These guys are the best with words on giving compliments. Oh, 100%. Sorry, that was the most clumsiest <laughs> sentence. Beautifully ironic is what it was. <laughs> man, man, I just pay these guys to like, do they, do they like uh, cameo? Oh, yeah, or- yeah. You just cameo them compliments to other people? Yeah, and yeah. it doesn't matter. No one knows who they are. They're so good at You're it. You're just going to feel nice. Yeah. <laughs> great. Uh, so uh, this is more uh, re- regarding this album. Um, Tim says, Lifestyle and Italian Platinum felt like a jump to me even at the time. I think I will always listen to those records and think we basically nailed them. We had reached a level of true assuredness technically, and our writing was relaxed and natural, yet honed in a direct directly, yet honed in directly on whatever bullshit it was we were trying to say. There's just a surplus of great stuff on those two records in particular. And when uh, when he was asked which album he thinks the be- is the best introduction to the band, Andy said, "I think that lifestyle is probably the best combination of flow and hookiness to have the best chance of making an impression." Interesting. It does have the best flow, or at least one of the best flows. Um, but I think they do have better songs. Just one man's opinion. I'm gonna I'm gonna stay out. <laughs> I shouldn't I shouldn't even be here. <laughs> Anyway, everyone's favorite and best, but not ours. Don't listen to us. Yeah. But also, you're listening to us, so you've already lost. You've already lost. I'm sorry to tell you. <laughs> but we got, what, two left. Are we, that's, we're, already, we're already there. Yes. Almost done. Holy shit. Uh, and here it is, the other half, the other one of Tim's favorite albums. <laughs> <laughs> this is 2002's Italian Platinum. Already so much louder. Very like classic rock. Oh yeah, yeah. Actually, this sounds louder and fuller than like, the past few records. More gruff Andy singing. She 
This song has heart in it. That's what I like about it. It is very like what they just said about the studio. That's what this song is. It's just bare bone. Yep. Very raw. Oh. Does, is it always the same girl or different girls singing? Though? I don't know. I don't know. Discogs. Discogs. That's a beautiful chorus, though. That's Kelly Hogan. Uh, she does sing lead on a, on a song on this, on this album as well. At least I think so. Yeah. No, 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 no. Maybe. No, I'll double check. Yeah, it is Kelly Hogan. Um, goddamn, that song I think is very nice. And this album is the other one that people refer to as the other the other best. And you know what? It's not even fair for me to say I don't. <laughs> what? To just say I don't get it because whatever. Um, yeah, it's not Alex's band. It's uh, it's fair. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's fair. Um, I think it's just as good as the other one. Uh, pacing not quite as good. Presentation I think a little bit better. Yeah, I don't know. There, there's like this gritty. Well, I guess you could say this about a lot of bands. I don't know. There's just this this character about them in the early days, and now it's just a band I don't recognize, and I can't even say it's a bad thing. I agree. It's it's a completely different thing. It it's like kind of like what I said. It, it did the. They blossomed into a a band that I normally wouldn't have jumped on board with to begin with. Because yeah, I bands I do like when they do these drastic changes. I'm all for it. You can't can't do the same shit over and over again. Yeah, this happens to be like twice that it's not for me. Yeah, it's just like the old you. It's just. It's too clean and too nice for me. It is very clean. It is very nice. I I hear you loud and clear. I 100% get that. Uh, and the and I guess what they were trying to do was that. What the fans wanted was that. Well, it's, it's like, it's crazy. Like, oh, that's what I don't like in music. But that's what they were d- trying to do. So, all right. That's just yeah. agree to disagree, I guess. Yeah. That's interesting because like, uh, um, there's still a lot of good stuff on here that I, that I actually quite like a lot. There are some like weird outliers, like the brain. Oh, right. It's like some dancey punk stuff with this keyboard thing. Mm-hmm. I'm going to give that a thumbs up. I, I'm going to give that one a thumbs down. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, it's not. It's of not, course you are. Cause I, yeah, like, yeah, it's nothing. It's not bad. It's nothing. It's nothing wrong with it. Um, it's just, I just, I just no longer care for like the, the style of that. I found like the first chunk to be a little, little wonky. Um, Cause again, even though, I mean, I've loved lifestyle, but I like the way it moved. This one, I think, kind of throws a wrench in with um, "Is She a Sign," which is like I like it more on, on multiple listens. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is moving more toward. It doesn't sound like early two thousands indie so much. I I it, disagree. It, it, but it's kind of it's moving in that direction. It's mm-hmm. like it's in the same ballpark now. Whereas mm-hmm. before, it was only like pavement indie, the indie that I love. Yeah. And now it's moving more toward what i don't love yes um speaking of throwing wrenches into things i feel like the keyboard on white lightning is so like out of nowhere but not, oh yeah but not in a bad way not at all like uh yeah it's a 
It's I, my favorite part about that song. Same, yeah. same. I th- is it? A, I, I don't know, it might be a clavinet or an organ. I think it's a clavinet. Okay, but it's fucking great. And that's also the song is on the, on the is more on the darker side, which we mm. haven't gotten in a while. Um, really cool. And the, the so at, at this point we have Matt. I I remembered his name and then I fucking forgot his name. Uh, Matt Cadane. Mm-hmm. I on think keyboards. it's yeah on keyboard. He he'll be here uh, for the next couple, and he's really fucking good. And all all of his key solos are always they're never cringy. They're never like out of place or or, or like all right. So they're using keys now. Mm-hmm. No, it always feels like oh that's a cool weird solo. And especially with like the effects he uses on it and um, some of the organ stuff. Um, I don't know if it's on this album or the next one. It might be this one. Um, it is on this one. Um, the 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 organ solo on a cockfight of feelings. Man, like I mean, I don't love the song so much, but that organ solo is fucking melting. It's so beautiful. First of all, love the title for the song. It is a great title. I'm very meh on it as well. Yeah, it's one of the most generic chord structures I think they've used in a song. You know why? Because they were hanging out with Bush. That's the one. You know it. I, I, I see why there's a lot to be had there. I love that organ solo. Yeah. The, the actual verses and choruses, I think, are the, the least interesting things they've written, maybe in the entire catalog, mm-hmm. which is odd. Like It's no glycerin. It's a, <laughs> <laughs> Christ. <laughs> Having I've been waiting to use that. I know. <laughs> I know. For like the past hours, like, I'm, I'm holding on to it. Uh, but having said that, the Ram, which comes on right before that, that I is, think it's one of the best fucking songs on the album, uh, easily. That is a very solid, somber song. Oh, yeah. It has some of the coolest riffs they've had in a while, mm-hmm. I mean, in my opinion. Um, and, like, stuff that ve- it really veers from, like, the familiar indie path. And then Young, they just go full piano and lady vocal, and it fucking works. It works full-on piano ballad full piano ballad female female lead vocals like not the way these guys kind of like passionately just fucking do one take and if it's Mm -hmm. off key fuck it whatever i mean she's a full-on singer it's like this is a different thing completely absolutely it's nice it's very pretty very nice very pretty very nice very pretty (laughs) uh last thing i'll note well I do like Bourbon Beard a lot too. Uh, uh, LR72, LR72, whatever. Um, re- I like that one more and more. Um, I think I was fine with it at first. And then I heard it like a handful more times. I'm like, yeah, that's one of my favorite, probably one of my favorite songs by them. Um, and the solos are, are fucking amazing. Mm-hmm. We haven't been talking too much about the the solos and the guitars stuff, but basically on every album, when there's a guitar solo, it fucking rules. He really, he really does bring stuff out of songs that maybe I wouldn't even have paid much mind to. Like you pointed that out on. It was an earlier album, Fire, Fire Water. Water, for sure, Fire Water. But like, it never goes away. Is mm-hmm. what I'm trying to say. Like, um, they're always he's yeah he's a fucking man. But yeah, this is a. It's it feels like more the same, but with more diversity. This is a it's like lifestyle, but um, grittier, um, more experimental. And I, I do say that loosely, but there's more variety uh, and the presentation, I think, is ultimately stronger. But the flow is a little bit more iffy uh, when, when asked which albums uh, are best to introduce new listeners. Tim said, I'd have to pick two Italian Platinum and Libertine. I apologize, Tim. <laughs> I'm 
but you're you're a beautiful human being. So <laughs> you get the scope and a lot of great music from that combination. I think that's not actually that's actually not bad. That's, I think it's not that's, bad. That's, that's a fair assessment if you like the band or if you're in the band. Fair enough. And, uh, uh, Andy said, my personal favorite is Italian Platinum, but it doesn't flow as well as Lifestyle. Uh, but Sonically is incredible and all, all songs are great. I feel like someone made fun of us for saying Sonically once and it's just a term. <laughs> oh, yeah. It was, it was, our, buddy, it was our buddy Daniel. Guest on our, our Death Talk episode. Dude, he, he made his fun of us for saying Sonically one time and I never used it never, again. I've never used it again. Like, oh yeah? I'll fucking never, I'll never say it again in my life. That's let alone on the pod. That's how... One, how powerful Daniel is, and two, how stubborn and insecure we are. Absolutely. I'm a tiny man, dude. I'm not going to fight against words. And if I can't think of a better word to use than Sonic, then I don't deserve to speak. I think I've like typed it out knowing it's a placeholder. And then just... It's in brackets. Yeah. God damn. So in other words, sonically, it's really great. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with saying that. We're There's fucking just nothing wrong with it. Stupid. I, you know how many times Michael Jura said sonically in the in the Swans doc? I didn't a, even notice a lot, yeah, dude. A I lot. Didn't notice. And he seems to be doing all right. I'm getting all defensive now. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> this is what happens when I slowly lose my mind. On- De- on air fuck yeah and now we are at the end well there's two records i'll talk a little bit about the last ep but with the last album also i didn't know i was supposed to listen no no no. i, oh, I okay no, no. I, okay I, um, cool. I didn't learn about it until like way after okay um, so i just gave it a once over to, to all right yeah. um but here it is the last album everybody who boy last one on touch and go too this is 2004's it'll be cool and you know what that's a great album title. It surprisingly is. I was like, it'll be cool. It's it'll, actually kind of... It will be cool. It'll be cool. Yeah. Also, you get, I mean, if you just look at the track listing, eight tracks, as opposed to like 13 and 16 and whatever. I mean, that means longer songs. This album is bananas. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. Don't look back. Don't look back. Don't look the, tr- back. the drums are kind of like kraut rock. Yeah. Like, there's nothing kraut rock about the song. No, but it's very like, repetitive, yeah. very steady. Yeah. This is like some of like the most honest Tim vocals in the entire discography. It just feels like a guy singing where it's almost detached from like a singer in a band. It just feels like a guy. It's, it feels really honest and sincere. I was quite taken back by the song. I was like, this is fucking really nice. And also, it's a long song. Oh, yeah. It's like six minutes in it. We're obviously not going to get to that much of it, but it fucking builds. It builds and builds and builds. I didn't love this song first listen, but as I grew, 
Love might be too strong a word, but it's like great to appreciate this album it, in the whole. Yeah, it's, it's good. It is good. It's it's a great opening track for the album. And it, it definitely goes and does more. Also, I don't know what I'm doing here, guys. I'm sorry. <laughs> I kind of, whatever. This is, I think this is their best. Personal favorite. All right. Dude, yeah. dude this album <laughs> fucking Boom. rips. Boom. I couldn't believe how fucking good this album was. Because I, I was like, oh, they, they just became a thing I'm not really that into. And then this comes on, like, all this fucking, this is what I wanted immediately when Joel left. Like, this type of thing where it feels so fucking organic i kind of felt like beaten down and defeated <laughs> and let me tell you insomnia is one of the craziest experiences i've had listening to music because the first half of that song i just i'm like okay i've been here before yep, yep. i know what you're doing oh no you don't <laughs> no the fuck i don't <laughs> dude that what it grows into is the first time they've gone full crazy noisy since the Joel days. Yeah. It's so good. Yeah. Once the fuzz and the keyboard kicks in, that song is fucking awesome. 100%. Now let's talk a little bit about Penalty Box. Penalty Box <laughs> is yeah. the greatest Brainiac tribute yes, song I, yeah. ever. Uh, it doesn't really sound like Brainiac. No, but no. There's like- it's so wacky. The, so on this album are a fuck ton of mandolins. And I... Hell love yeah. me some mandolins. Hell, Alex loves him some mandolins. Or as I call it, gondola, gondola music. Gondola guitars. guitars. Yeah. <laughs> the, it, and there, there is numerous mandolin solos on Penalty Box, and they're all absolutely fucking crazy. And they're all like really, really technically good. Like shredding on a fucking mandolin. It's so crazy. It's a good fucking song. It's fantastic. <laughs> now, something hyper is the weirdest song in their entire discography. Okay. It's gotta be. He, I was like, okay, Penalty Box is a novelty song. We're going we're to settle back down. <sighs> they did a fucking creepy banjo song and not in a like deliverance sort of way. No, it has these odd pianos. These like uh, haunted house pianos. Yeah. yeah, the slow unsettling stuff. Also, uh, down pitched vocals. Like yes. slowed down vocals. Yes. And it, oh, it's man. it's not like um it's not done in like a ween kind of way where it's just a slightly uh, lower voice that sounds kind of goofy. It's like over on top of the regular singing and then kind of uh thrown in the background in the mix a little bit. It's it's more like like a texture. It's like an odd mm. little layer in there. Um and then by z- Oh, no. Listen, we got to talk I think it's I think it's actually pronounced Christian Undertaker. Um, oh, it's okay. spelled X I A M, but I think it's Christian Undertaker. Uh, one of their best songs. Yes, it is one of. I am so in love with that song. Dude, I love it so much. Hell yeah, dude! It's it's a legit ballad. It's a legit ballad, but the way it's executed oh, and it's gorgeous. This is like so crazy for like um. It kind of reminds me of David Bowie's Black Star in a way where obviously that's like under a different set of circumstances where this band like ended abruptly against their will. Mm -hmm. Um, Not that I'm saying David Bowie passed away at his will, but he knew he knew his time was up. But any time like a band like can come out 
swinging on their their last album or or like tribes last album it's always it's i don't know it's always an endearing dear more endearing to me yeah you you never you're you've already established in your mind that this band is is this one one, yeah even though they weren't that when they started, they grew into that thing. We've already established that they're going to continue along this kind of path. And this isn't like a different band than the past five albums. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's like, instead of taking a huge left turn, they just sort of veered a little bit left. And they decided to throw this there instead. We decided to make the song this length instead of that. We started maybe hammer on this thing long. It's like little tiny choices that end up in like what I feel is a vastly better album. Yes. Like a bunch of little changes. But obviously no one agrees. Well, I don't know. Okay. I think they do. I think, I mean, fans of this band like all the albums. Mm -hmm. One person in the doc uh, that I was surprised to see in there and and repeat this. uh, Is it Clint from Mission of Burma? Check out that episode. He said, it'll be cool was incredible. Loved it. It'll be cool. More than Italian Platinum. That song had, I mean, that album had that great songs in it, but It'll Be Cool was, was the fucking one. And I was like, yeah, I felt that way too. Holy shit. Yeah. All right. So it's not like unfounded or anything. Yeah. There is so much good on here. So we get Christian Undertaker, which is, you know, the greatest thing ever. And then uh, Shitty Little Yacht, which is the best song title ever made. <laughs> Uh, I no, I still think emotion. What was it? Oh, a, cu- a cockfight of <laughs> what was it? that one wins. A cockfight of feelings. Yeah, that one wins. It is a good. It is a good. Uh, I like shitty little yacht because it, it just feels so disrespectful. Uh, you arrange that around. You get a uh, the acronym for strapping young lad. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> I don't know why my brain went there. But. <laughs> same band, really. So it's uh, the same band. It's fuzzy as all hell. It feels great. It's it that song. I mean, along with a lot of the songs in the song, but it does feel like the progression I was hoping for after Joe left. Where um, they're not really, they're not playing the same kind of songs. It's a very different type of song than the Joel days, but it's still as ambitious. It still is like ah, fuck it. Let's just try that. Mm-hmm. It feels very. Uh, uninhibited yeah yeah and then i will say um the operative is just something like real bright and shiny in this like crazy like kaleidoscope of this album it's like the happy moment it's like the moment where all right we're gonna give you a little bit of lifestyle in italian platinum but it's gonna be heavier and more layered Mm -hmm. so uh, like for one, this album has more guitar over overdubs than a lot of the albums we've had in a long time. So yeah, it's just the trio or uh, quartet if you count Matt on, mm-hmm. on keys, which you should. But uh, he's th- no longer just relying on the one guitar. There's like, it, it, and that that's like a subtle thing, but it it really does make a difference when. Hey, maybe I, I can do this and harmonize this now. Like, why not? Fuck it. I'll just do an overdub. Yeah. And it, it does open things up a lot. Um, the operative bleeds right into his mock replies, which is a very short um, instrumental with no drums and has like dual distorted guitars. I think one of them is um, a baritone guitar. Yeah. I feel it's almost like a soundscape a little bit. It's more, I, it's more songy, but it is, it definitely has that floatiness to it. Yeah. It really just feels more like a, like an outro. It's like an outro than a full, like proper song, but it's like a really nice way to, it's like an outro for the operative 
that also happens to be the final track. It feels, yeah. it all kind of, it flows nicely. It, it comes to a close in like a really gentle and somber way, even though it's distorted and loud, but it still feels that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they fucking nailed it. Like, I really think they fucking, they nailed it with this album. Um, and it didn't fucking shocker. Of, it didn't sell. Of course it fucking did. It never of course sell. it didn't. It's like, it doesn't matter. Like if you're super, you're, you're the fucking best band ever. If you don't find the right people to support you, it's not going to work. I mean, it's, that's a fucking devastating fact of art, which mm-hmm. shouldn't be. You should be able to be broke and still make art because it helps the world or something. I'm a fucking hippie. Who cares? But it didn't sell well. And uh, I think Tim was trying to, um, I think we're sending messages or something to, to Corey from touch and go saying like, uh, I know, you know, last album didn't sell, but maybe like if we can, if you want to talk, uh, you can set something up, maybe not as ambitious or whatever, something. Mm-hmm. And he was like dodging his calls and like oh. dodging his not responding till finally he set up a meeting and he was like, sorry, oh, I'll let you go. Man. And that was devastating to hear, but also obviously devastating for them. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Tim was saying, uh, I thought, I really thought touch and go was the last time we would have to look for something like a, I thought a label that was home yeah. because this is the place that harbors bands like us where we're just doing our thing and we have a very dedicated, but small group of people. Mm-hmm. And even that, even they were like, sorry, bud, not going So after that, they had to have like a, a really important conversation uh, with the, with each other. Like, do we even do this? No yeah. one wants us. Why are we still doing this? Yeah. And they all came to the same conclusion that we love it so much. We're mm-hmm. never going to stop. We'll, we'll put it out ourselves. Fuck it. Whatever. Yeah. And I was like, yes, I love you guys so much. Oh, man. I love them. I love them. What they're... And, uh, and then Michael was killed. And then that was the end of that. Like immediately. Fucking devastating shit, bro. Absolutely devastating. And, and I mean, I talked about the, the death at the beginning, but fuck it's just like it's always it always like it's so the people who die tragically are always the ones that are just better <laughs> they're always like the people that you want around the people that just livened up the room or or maybe it just feels that way it because, always just feels that way because yeah, the, everyone these dies. are the people that are people are like made someone's day better and now they're not there yeah that's exactly that it's exactly that you just notice their their absence way more yes it's a bigger hole to fill than if some asshole yeah and yeah because like we we know we're we're all gonna we're all gonna die and we all know that but like we don't really think about it on a day-to-day like no you could die randomly like anybody can die and it happens all the time, but it's like, it's not likely. It's not likely, but was it likely for the, for this guy, for Michael to die the way he did? Insanely unlikely. Mm-hmm. So just do with, enjoy what you have when you have it. Yeah. It may, it, life is a gift. Even if you don't see it that way, maybe, maybe I, it's just your perspective. <laughs> I think I got to shout out Mama Leek right now too. Mama Leek. Because, yep. Um, yeah, one of their members passed away, and uh, we reviewed their album, and it was just... It's an awesome album. Check out that episode. <laughs> um, yeah, like, I'm dealing with some shit right now, and then to, like, be introduced to this band that's, like, doing something new, and then 
hearing one of their members is gone i'm just like that's not fucking fair i know life's not fair but, it's not fair but, but that's the yeah that's the very real reaction i i had to yeah it in the same way like even when watching the doc i'm like this is not fair but that's it's it's not, it's not only what it is it's what it's always been that is that mm-hmm. is what nature is and nature mm-hmm. can nature is metal dude it's fucking pretty brutal and that's just what it is you, you, we're not guaranteed shit you might not wake up tomorrow and you might not go to sleep tonight you, mm-hmm. you just don't know just fucking document what you have enjoy you, what you have you might you might not go to sleep so you end up watching eddie murphy's nutty professor because you can't fall asleep at night we all do that not just alex <laughs> of all the movies <laughs> the nutty professor <laughs> i didn't want to think it's fair enough. I I got for the past few weeks in a row or weekends in a row, I get super stoned and I put on Young Frankenstein because <laughs> like it's one of my favorite movies of all time and I'll never not laugh at it. But when I'm high, it is the funniest thing in the world. <laughs> like I will die laughing. I know exactly what's happening. I've seen it a thousand times. Werewolf. Werewolf. Yeah. Oh man, what a great movie! <laughs> okay, so we've been here long enough. We've we been here, be talking about movies. I know. <laughs> sorry, I'm sorry. This is like a four-hour fucking episode. the The last record they officially released was Chokes. The Chokes EP uh, came out in 2006 on uh, One Two XU, which they found another label. And at least that. Uh, Tim said, according um, according to Tim, he said uh, the Chokes EP is underrated and probably underrepresented in otherwise comprehensive Silkworm collections. That is 100 true. It's a cool EP. Um, it has like. There's a cover of Wrote a Song for Everyone um, by Credence. Check out that episode. Wrote a song Oh, man. I'm going to cry and listen to that song on the way home, I think. Yeah. It, oh, that song will That's do it. That's kind of a perfect way to end my day. It's a perfect closing uh, like end credit song anyway. Yeah. It's fucking amazing. Uh, but there's a cover of that on there. There's a live track on there. Um but the rest of the songs are like more in the vein of it'll be cool. Maybe not as like uh, wacky or unexpected, mm-hmm. uh, but it, it's a cool EP. Immediately after Tim and Andy went on to form Bottomless Pit with uh, Chris Manfrem of Seam and bassist Brian Orchard of 22. Um, I think both of them were in um, the doc as well. But uh, when asked about, you know, making making music again after, after the death of Michael, Tim said, uh, the whole thing, including making music again was incredible, in, was indescribably painful, but we ended up playing our way through it for whatever reason. Music was somehow a natural part of trying to deal with Michael's death. I don't remember Andy and me talking much about the music during that time. We just did it. Bottomless pitch just kind of happened. <clears throat> it was super heavy emotionally, ended up being greatly rewarding and we rode that out for many years even though it seemed like the new band the whole time wouldn't it wouldn't it always it it would it totally would um i think especially as you you get older like there are things that feel new to me like my friendship with you oh right but we've known each other over 10 years at this point yeah so i totally get it yeah it's not like a slight to you, it's this no, it's just, in, in the scheme of my life. When you yeah. turn a certain age, like, oh, I mean, there's so much before that. There's yeah. so much life before that. Yeah. It reminds me of a uh, Minutemen check of that episode uh, when they formed uh, Firehose after D Boone's death. Mm-hmm. Um, I imagine, like, yeah, that was Firehose. Yeah, I mean, plenty of people love that band, but it is the band after Minutemen. Mm-hmm. Um, even though, you know, I forgot the other guy's name, um, the guitar player for, for Firehose, but he was like a whole 
it's like a different band. It's a whole different personality. But George Hurley and Mike Watt, like, man, Minuteman was like their their baby. Mm-hmm. Pete Boone was his childhood best friend. Like, that's it. You, you don't just move on from that. Um, Tim goes on to say, at certain points in your life, you may realize a creative process has gotten so woven into your life that it's just part of what you do and you don't exactly have any choice as far as whether or not you're going to engage in it. It's more like walking or breathing than work, which explains why they were going to continue as a band despite everyone shunning them. Yeah. <clears throat> Andy's take on this, he says, um, easy. It seemed clear that it was an imperative. We also had... Uh, the good fortune to know some great guys and musicians um, who fit right in to help us form Bombless Pit. Uh, and I think uh, when um, when it happened, I think the day after Michael died, someone, it might have been some press or something, contacted Tim and asked him about like Silkworm. And he's like, oh, it's, it's over. It's, uh, it's, it's mm-hmm. obviously over. And he didn't even ask Andy about it. And then when he saw Andy, he was like, oh, I didn't even like, I mean, is that, he's like, oh yeah, no, no, it's over. So yeah, no, yeah. no, 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 let's need no discussion. Obviously it's over. Like that's, yeah. that's the guy. We're not, it reminds me, I mentioned in the past, like the band Sun City Girls, like the drummer died. Mm-hmm. That's it. End of the band. Yeah. Some people are just part, they are what makes it a band. You mm-hmm. can't just replace that. Tom also asked Tim, um, what, what people besides Steve Albini had the biggest impact on the band. Uh, and Tim said, John Kappas, um, and Tom Kipp from, from Einheit were big influences in terms of how to do things, performative aspects, aesthetics, exposing all of us to new ways of thinking about stuff. Certain bands we played with and printed themselves on us, Engine Kid, Jessamine, Tree People, a miniature. <clears throat> we were all still finding our way when we played with those bands the most and their varied ways of doing stuff filtered into how we did or sometimes did not do things. He says, I'm still friends with a bunch of people uh, with whom we made records. John Solomon, Corey Rusk, Gerald Coslow, Tim Cook, Terry Farrell. Uh, I love and appreciate them. I saw from them how to do business with people honorably. From others, I saw what happened when they were shitty to bands who had entrusted them with their art. All of that was useful knowledge to acquire. It's nice that the band has ever gotten any press whatsoever, but I don't usually read reviews and people should say whatever they want about us. I used to hate being misquoted, though, uh, unless it was a, it was bad enough to be funny. A guy once had me saying that we were into, into Neil Young before he was cool. Still makes me laugh. <laughs> That's a horrible. That's a horrible quote. That's a really bad quote. These guys and Silkworm are like a hundred years old. Yeah, that's insane. How old do you think they are? It's fucking ridiculous. Uh, as for these days, Tim says my band Mint Mile has been going for eight years now, which seems crazy. Feels like two. Uh, we put out a bunch of EPs and we, we released a double album called Ambertron right as the entire world locked down for COVID. Somehow it's almost out of print though, so I guess it worked out. Finally, someone's buying their fucking albums. Uh, our new record is called Rough Rider, and I hope it'll be out in 2023. Keep an eye out for that. Uh, pending pressing plant delays and all that. I'm really happy with the group and what we are up to there. Um, he says, I play with John and Mike from Tar in a group called Deep Tunnel Project. Uh, that is very good. Jeff Dean plays guitar. Those guys are all great, and I love getting to play, to just play bass, so I feel fortunate to be doing it. And this is a fucking wild card. I, played, I was not expecting this. I bet you weren't. Check this out. I played bass and baritone guitar on the last three Sun O records and did a bunch of touring with the group in 2019 and 2020. Greg and Steven and I have known each other for ages before the band even existed. I've always loved the band. Only one like it. Hope to be involved in more of that at some point. By the way, one of the guys from, from Sun O was in the dock. Fucking light night and day difference. <laughs> <laughs> My brain's already mush right now. Um, 
Holy shit. Okay. Yeah. Let's go. Why not? Why not? Uh, Andy says, I, I released a solo album back, uh, back by Light Coma on Comedy Minus One in 2017 called Unreality. It's good. So people should buy that if they haven't already. You hear that? <laughs> uh, he says, I also co-sponsored an ever-expanding website of Buddhist thought at deep, deep harma dot, sorry, at deepdharma.org. So people can check that out if it is of interest. Also, didn't expect him to be a Buddhist. Like, again, there's that, no shortage of surprises with each guy. The way he talks kind of makes this is a man who meditates probably. Oh, easily. Yeah. I was more cons- like like surprised because he's on stage with like full on stars of David. He's like a fully Jewish guy, but he's a Buddhist. You do both. <laughs> you do. And you could also play crazy guitar in a really like, obscure indie band <laughs> and then also tour with Bush. <laughs> And then play in fucking Sun O. Oh, see, that's Tim. That's Tim. I know, but yeah. still, this still uh, the the degrees of separation are, yeah. are quite narrow with this. Holy shit, man! But we did it. We made it. We did eleven albums. Holy shit! This I'm is exhausted. A, you're exhausted. This has been a very long. This is this will be one of our longest episodes. I can't believe that. Uh it is. It's up there. It is up there. Uh Thank you, Kevin, for requesting this. I hope you enjoy the thorough, thorough deep. Took a year, but it took a while. You can't say we didn't. (laughs) I I wanted to make sure I fucking came prepared. We came with fucking exclusive interviews. I actually watched the documentary and didn't forget this time. We listened to every fucking album, even the stuff that wasn't on the list. Or at least I did. Anyway, I was going to say he did, too. He did, too. I was going to say I did the bare minimum, but I went and found these three obscure things exactly so i i get like a d d plus i wouldn't say that it, it, it's a band that it is it's off there they know they're not for everyone the, the world knows they're not for they're yeah. everyone their biggest supporters are like they don't hate with everybody they're just mm-hmm. not they're not they're not that bad even even he even gave us permission to say whatever i want but i still i'm like no you're too fucking nice but i also respect everything that they do and how they do it yeah. and, and like the little the little things like the way they don't replace members and the way they choose to play the songs after that member is gone it, it's just this is what why i love covering these bands and and th- these genres it's like they're not doing any of it for any kind of thing other than that they love it and that oh uh, there was a thing that steve said in the doc that was brilliant he says there comes a it was after they were dropped from from matador or, or i think it was matador said there comes a point in a lot of musicians careers where they have to make the decision to to try and actually make some money and not be so weird and making an actual effort to appeal to some audiences and bring in new people or to say, fuck that and keep doing whatever they want. Mm-hmm. And that, that is the difference between um, a great band and a, people who don't know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And uh, these guys, they chose being broke and, and fucking being dropped <laughs> over and over again. Man. And I love them for it. God damn. I love them for it. God damn. So thank you so much for listening and watching. Again, thank you, Kevin. I hope you enjoyed it. Blah, 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 blah. Uh, if you want to support us and hang out, 
fucking do more? that more this has been a long hangout but leave comments if you want to talk shit to us maybe we're wrong about everything who cares leave your picks for best and worst play along with us uh, i can subscribe if you want to do that and please actually please do that uh, you can follow me on all social media at pander monkey and alex on instagram at every album alex hell yeah please for the love of christ follow our history guy tom osmond who puts in the work he fucking does things that w- I can't talk to people. I can never ask anybody for an interview. I can't do these things. I don't have these skills. Tom does, and he does it for us. So, ugh. so please follow him uh, and all social media at Tom Osmond Stones and uh, his Substack, TomOsmond.substack.com, where there's more interviews there. He does a bunch of writing about music. He's a very good writer. And TomOsmondSounds.com for all things music. He just released a new album with um, a collab album with Existent Non-Existent called Industrial State of Mind. It is disturbing and ambient and drony and creepy. And his stories on there are actually very well done and kind of spooky. Check that out. Very crazy stuff. Also check out my debut EP, Pander Monkey. Find it in the description. It's cool too. Uh, And last but not least, Patreon.com slash every album ever that is where we survive please go there we got some bonus episodes you get you get to see, see our schedule in advance you get to vote on polls to decide who we're covering next you get to join our discord and uh suggest ep- uh episode topics for eae singles episodes uh and if you're tier two you can suggest a full ass discography just like kevin did it might take a while we're gonna try and find ways so it doesn't take as long but they take a long time. I'm sorry. But if you want us to cover a band specifically, do that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. I think that's it for plugs. We've had a long day. I can't believe how late it is, but it's okay. I'm going to throw out a suggestion. Well, there's, I feel like there's one song. There's only one song. It has to be. Yeah. Christian Undertaker. Yeah. Hell yeah. Hell. So thanks so much for listening and watching. See ya. drive down the freshly paved street They swerve to avoid the sharp edges of manhole covers of red light to navigate the radio Got the windows open and the air Conditioning on Bulletin There's a heat wave coming Delivery of an Early warning But you are always Looking Past The facts You give me no hope To be calm Before I sleep 
I don't want to think about the things that I leave undone. I like to have a thick shell to keep me whole. I want to keep you right here with your best. Come on, work it in. What a time. There's a heat wave coming. Your face will grace God's marble doorstep. If he even exists to fucking hear the knock and crack the door and stand before someone I know and have always loved, I'm confident that you can. Win him over, but a turn, there's a heat wave coming, delivery of him, early warning, but you are always looking past the facts, I know you'll put your faith in a Christian, undertaker life. 